gaslighting and gaslighting in the church. That's what we're talking about on today's episode of the podcast. Gaslighting can have hugely damaging effects, but we're going to teach you not only how to recognize it, especially in church and spiritual settings, but more importantly, we're going to teach you what to do, how to respond in a healthy way when you realize that you're being gaslit. You don't want to miss a moment of this conversation. But hey, before we jump into the podcast today, as always, we want to give you a quick trigger warning. We talk about real things on this podcast. And at times that means talking about trauma that may trigger you. So if you find yourself triggered or uncomfortable at any point during this episode, feel free to skip ahead or to wait until next week's episode. We always want you to take care of you first. But with that having been said, let's jump in to episode two of the Church Disrupted Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to Church Disrupted with your host, Jeff Cochran. Um, and today I've got with me Vicki May and Sean Reese joining us again. Good to see you again, Sean. Good to see you guys. Um, but hey, a lot of you guys, before we get into the episode today, which is going to be incredible, we're talking about gaslighting in the church. Mm, that's good. Gaslighting everywhere in the church. And we want to actually teach listeners um, how to recognize gaslighting, how to know when it's happening to you, how to know when those things that sound like Jesus aren't really Jesus, right? Uh, because there's a lot of leaders, and we'll get into this, they gaslight people in the church without even doing it on purpose. So we just want to educate today. This is going to get a little spicy at some point, though, as gaslighting in the church does. going to be a phenomenal episode. You don't want to miss it. But before we jump all the way in, uh, many of you, you keep asking how you can support the podcast, um, and we wanted to give you a couple of simple ways that you can do that. One, you can always pray for us for free. You can like stuff on social media, share it on social media, totally free, and that helps us out a ton. Um, so guys, if that's all you're doing, thank you so much for that. Um, but if you want to support us further, uh, you can join the community. We would love for you to be a part of the Church Disrupted community to become a disruptor or a catalyst or a table flipper. From 5 to $25, there are a lot of different options there where you can join in, be a part of the daily conversation. And for our table flippers, we meet right here around this table off camera uh, just to help you walk through and process your church hurt. So we've only got 25 spots. We've actually backed that down, 25 spots if you want to be a part of the table flipper groups. Um, but we would love to have you there. But maybe you would say, Jeff, I don't want to be a part of the community yet, or I want to give above and beyond the community. You can also go to disrupted.church, disrupted.church at any point. You can find out about the communities, but you can also give on PayPal. And we have a wish list of some stuff we would love to do and get there. Like for instance, we were talking about this before the episode started. These chairs are super uncomfortable. Yeah, a bit. They mm -hmm. hurt my buttocks. <laughs> okay, so by the time we're done with a two-hour conversation, it's not comfortable, right? So uh, we got some chairs we want to get, but we're tapped out. Already uh, put about 10 grand into the podcast. So if you would like to bless us with chairs, uh, you could actually give right there on PayPal. Uh, bless us with the chairs. And hey, if you're a business, just let me know your business name and uh, we'll let you sponsor the first episode there with you the go. chairs, right? That'd be really good. Um, but anyway, if you want to get involved in the community, you want to support us in any way, just go to disrupted.church. That's the best way to do that. But hey, we're so glad that you're here. I'm ready to jump in this conversation. Let's do it. It's going to be a good one. 
Um, so guys, today, gaslighting mm. in the church. It's all over, but we've got people right now who are listening and they're going, what the hell is gaslighting? Yeah, I don't even know what that means, right? For some people, it's a buzzword, and they use it in every other sentence. You're gaslighting me. Stop gaslighting me. Mm-hmm. That sounds like my kids right now, yeah. okay? Right? It's a buzzword. For others, they don't know what it means. So let's start there. What is gaslighting? When you think about gaslighting, what are you thinking about? I'm thinking about uh, specifically people telling you who you are and, you know, like, hey, this is this is who you are. With like, I don't know who I am. Like, I'm. Let me tell you who what I see in you. What I, who I see that you are. Uh, I know that's not the clinical definition, but that's. I think that's part of it for me. Anyways, dang it, Sean, you didn't come prepared <laughs> with the clinical definition of gaslighting, man. I, I, I mean, expected more of you. I do have it memorized. I just wanted to be I'm a little off book. Thin, yeah, a little off book. Yeah. Thinning. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Vicky? Well, what do you I think mean, about gaslighting? What do you think? I think it is um, not taking my my feelings, my thoughts legitimately mm. and turning them to what you want them to be. So, um, or not, or just miss like dismissing them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. mm, that's not it. This is what it is. Yeah. At best it's dismissing, it's dismissing mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. at worst. It's gaslighting been, is actually making you feel like you're crazy. Right. Or controlling you, everything. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in relationships, a lot of times what will happen in relationships is you have a spouse that thinks they're crazy every time they bring something up. But I've seen this happen in the church where yeah. you bring something up, you know something happened, and then six months later you're going, wait a second, did that really happen or was I just overreacting? How does that happen? That happens because of gaslighting. Eventually you start questioning your own reality. Correct. And at its worst, gaslighting is what an abuser does that winds up in you questioning your own reality completely. So I'm going to give you a couple of definitions that we're going to start with. Okay. I'm going to give you a few cause they're all over. Um, before we start with the, the definitions though, I love this. What one psychologist said was, um, most people who gaslight, they do it to save face or to seek the approval of others. Some gaslight members into believing their concern is invalid or unnecessary. Part of that was from a psychologist. Part of that came from Christianity Dot com. Some gaslight people into believing that their concern is invalid or unnecessary. Mm-hmm. It's not really that big of a deal. All right, so here's how Webster's actually defines it. Gaslighting is defined as a psychological manipulation mm. of a person. Let's just stop right there. Okay. That, that yep. word right, right there. there. Gaslighting is manipulative mm-hmm. at best. All right. So if you mm-hmm. see any of the stuff we talk about in the podcast today, you see it in a church leader, you see it in a relationship, you see it wherever. It's a form of manipulation, and we need to call that what it is because manipulation is dangerous. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Right? So it keeps going. Gaslighting is psychological manipulation of a person, usually over an extended period of time, that causes the victim to question the validity of their own thoughts, perception of reality, or memories. Mm. Okay? Gaslighting... Usually happens over time. The first word there, though, that stuck out to me is victim. Yeah. When you are getting gaslit, especially by a church leader, you are by definition a victim. And the sad part is one of the most used gaslighting phrases against me when I started speaking out against some abuses I saw in the church was you need to get over your victim mindset. Sean, you and I talked about that on episode one. Oh, yeah. When you 
gaslight someone by calling them a victim and a victim mindset, you're really leaning into the skid there because we'll think, hey, I, I shouldn't be a victim, right? I shouldn't have a victim's mindset. But by the very definition, when you get gaslit, you are a victim because you're being psychologically manipulated to a deep yeah. way. But it says um, it causes you to question, the victim to question the validity of their own thoughts and perception of reality. Vicky, have you seen that? Like the where it actually people are trying to get you to think your perception of reality is wrong. Um, absolutely. So I, I mean, I've had experiences where it's um, I've questioned something, um, not felt good about something, spoke out about it, and then it. I'm being told because this was my favorite thing that you had on the list was I need to check my heart. So you're saying don't have a victim mentality, but for me it was, um, where's your heart at in this? Because, you know, is it in the right place? I think it is if I'm questioning something <laughs> That's that is why I brought it up. happening. But in the time I went, oh, I'm, okay, okay, I'm wrong here. There's I something mean, really wrong in really my something heart. wrong. And then, like, I am an overthinker. I can overanalyze things. That's how I'm wired. And so I can sit and mull over something over and over and over again. And this is true victim mentality of me being the victim of, of gaslighting. And so I'm like, oh, maybe I was wrong. And, oh, maybe I did take that the wrong way. Or maybe I shouldn't have said anything. And that happens like that. Easy. Yeah. Really quickly. All of a sudden, you had a grievance. You had something you brought up because it was, it was a big enough deal for you to get uncomfortable mm -hmm. and bring it up. Mm -hmm. Because when we bring up something to a pastor or a church leader, we don't do that because that's easy. No. We don't yeah. do that because that's comfortable. That's uncomfortable for any parishioner. Absolutely. Okay? And the fact that it, it took me a while to even do that, to like finally say something. That was me also, in the meantime, yeah. sort of self-gaslighting -gas myself through yeah. the thought processes of what was happening. So you've taken the time, you see something, you believe something needs to be said, but it's uncomfortable. You're, Absolutely. You're almost correcting a spiritual leader over you, right? So yes. you're, you're praying about it, you're thinking about it, you're overthinking and overthinking and overthinking, and finally you decide there's no way around it. This is something that needs to be said. Yeah. You share it, and what you get, the responses you get, these gaslighting phrases they come back with, the reason people use gaslighting phrases is to shut you up and to shut you down. That's it. They or want to shut you, you up and control. shut you down yeah, and control you. Well, the number one way that you control people is to control the flow of information, mm -hmm. right? So you share this concern. And the first thing they say is something like, Hey, Vicki, are you sure your heart's right in this? Maybe you need to check your heart. And then you leave because the spiritual authority has told you that it seems like it's not a big deal after you've wrestled over it. And very quickly, you go back to, well, was it as big of a deal? Should I have said anything? Did I hear God wrong? And then what's going to happen? The next time you see something, you're going to be way less likely to say something again because you know what happened last time. Yeah. Maybe it's just me again, right? Yeah, for sure. So it and goes on. We're still only half of the way through Webster's definition of this, right? Um, causes the victim to question their validity of their own thoughts, perception of reality, and memories. That's a big one, by the way. My memories have gotten attacked by pastors, by an elder board. Um, it's really sad when they attack some memories that I had recordings of that I had just listened to. So it's like, yeah. hey, I, I know you're lying. Um, that yeah. makes fighting gaslighting a little easier when it's yeah. like, I know you're lying and I've got receipts, right? But anyway, even your memories, and it typically leads to, catch this, confusion, 
loss of confidence and self-esteem, uncertainty of one's emotional or mental stability, Mm -hmm. and you rethink the decency of the perpetrator. You always leave from those gaslighting moments thinking, well, they're a pretty good guy. Mm-hmm. Well, she's a pretty good person. Maybe it wasn't that big of a deal. I probably overthought it. I can't believe I even brought that up to them. Now you're confused about what you were thinking, about what you saw, about what you remembered. Um, and again, man, on the memories, I remember sitting at this table with my wife and the elder board from the church that we corrected months ago. And I literally had people, when I would say something multiple times, I would talk about something that had happened, and they go, that's not the way it happened. Yeah, That's not our understanding of it. And they would rewrite history yep. right in front of me, right? Yeah. And again, if I didn't have receipts and recordings and emails and all of the things from the stuff that happened, I might would have questioned my own sanity and thought, well, you know, that happened a couple of years ago, or that happened six months ago, or that happened, you know, has my judgment gotten jaded over time? And that happens to so many of us where we begin to question our own judgment and then we're not correcting anything. Because again, yep. when you when you have someone who gaslights well, gaslighting is a way to shut you down, shut you up, and gain back control of the situation. And you're putting your trust, uh, and that's a big thing. You know, some people, it's hard to trust certain individuals, but you think, I'm at a, I'm at a church, I'm with people I should be able to trust, and then your trust is broken because you've been, you know, a, a victim of gaslighting. Um, I, I, and that, to me, is it's a really hard place to be because you're dealing with, like you're saying, leaders of in the church. But and they're spo- I'm like, well, they're supposed to be representing something good here. Yeah. And initially, they are. I mean, Jesus is good. God is good. Um, but. And then, but then to sit there and gaslight me and saying, you know, well, I, you know, you've questioned something that we're doing here, so therefore, um, God is not pleased with you. You know, that's what immediately goes into your head. You're like, oh, not only is this leader now a little upset with me, or but Jesus, but Jesus must is must be upset yeah, with because me. can you guys help me? What scripture is it um, in the Bible where Jesus or Paul or anyone said that asking questions was a sin? That's uh, the book of First Hesitations. First hesitation, 14. 14. Okay, yep. good. I'm glad that you found that one because I don't remember it in the Bible. It's not no. in Scripture. But we made in the modern-day evangelical church, we've made it look and feel like a sin Yeah, to ask questions. Yeah. If you question the authority of a pastor, if you question the authority of someone in leadership over you, then you're sinning, you're being dishonest honoring, and you're bringing a reproach on the name of Jesus and the body of Christ. You're being divisive, yeah. right? There's something wrong with you, and they'll start throwing all these sins at you because if you can't question the leader, the leader can keep control. Yep. Now, mm-hmm. Vicki, I think something you said is important there. I've never met a pastor that I think got into ministry because they wanted to hurt people. No. Okay. I, I haven't met anyone that said ministry would be great for me because I've taken all these gaslighting courses, which I, right. I don't think they have those. But I've taken all these I gaslighting mean, courses. I got a certificate, and I really think this would be a great place to test it out. That's not what happens. But we get people who are in ministry who have learned this behavior in other abusive situations. And when they feel like they're losing control, when control starts coming out of their grasp, their response is, I've got to fight back for control. I've got to gaslight. You know how I know that? because I've done it. Yeah. I grew up in an abusive home, right? I got diagnosed with PTSD from growing up with an abusive father. I get emotional abuse. I get all of that, right? 
Um, so when I got diagnosed with PTSD, one of the things my counselor helped me see, my therapist helped me to see that one of my triggers was anytime someone said something to me or about me that made it feel like they were questioning my competence or saying I wasn't good at something, mm. I would move from being the loving pastor who cared about you, which was true. I really did. Right. But I would move in a heartbeat to attack, tear them down, turn this around on them in a, a, a what sounds like a Jesus honoring way until they feel this big and they walk away and I've got control back. And I did that in front of other pastors. I did that to pastors in front of other pastors. And uh, man, I got pats on the back for it. Almost got promoted for it because I could take control of the situation. And it took me a long time to realize it was gaslighting. Once I realized what it was and why I was doing it, I immediately changed. Because again, growing up with a manipulative father, I realized, oh, I have that gift. And that's not a spiritual gift. That's a gift I don't want to ever use again. Mm -hmm. Right? So... Hey, if you're if you're watching this and you may be a pastor and you're going, hey, I think I've, I think I've been guilty of that. I, I think I've gaslighted people, right? Maybe you're watching it and you say, hey, I think I, you know, you, you hear some of the stuff we're talking about today, and like one of our podcast hosts, you go, hey, I realized after conversations about this, Jeff, that I was gaslighting my wife every time we had an argument, right? When you realize that, it doesn't mean you're an evil person. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. If you have a pastor or a church leader who does this to you, it doesn't mean that they're a bad or evil person. They may not know. You may not know, but we are responsible for what we do once we know. Yeah, it's right? once, once it's intentional, yeah, then that's when you become that's when you become the bad person. Well, is, I think you become a bad person before it's intentional. When you know and you aren't intentional about stopping it, I think yeah. that's just as bad as intentionally guessing. Well, yeah, that's what I meant. Like when you know about it, when you know it's something that you're you're capable of, and that you do in certain situations. If you don't put stuff in place, put barriers in place to keep yourself from doing that, even yeah. checks and balances, like people like, hey, if you hear me talking about like this, then just stop me yeah, because I don't want to hurt people like that. Well, you know the, the best check and balance that you could have with gaslighting is when you realize you've done it, make a quick apology. Mm -hmm. Make your apology as quick as possible to the person that you gaslit, even if they don't see it yet. Sometimes they won't, and that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they saw it or if it hurt them the way that you thought it might, when you realize you've done it, you come back and you say, Hey Vicki, um, I was thinking about the conversation we had last week about, you know, you volunteering in this area. And I realized what I said was a gaslighting phrase. And I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it that way. I got a little insecure there. So can we rehab that conversation? Will you forgive me? Nobody gets upset with a pastor for abuses that they see and ask for forgiveness over unless it's gotten really out of hand. Yeah. And, and no one starts generally with like sexual abuse or physical abuse. You get to that point after years of unchecked abuses. Yeah. So pastor, church leader, volunteer leader, the best thing that you could do when you realize you've done this is simply make a quick apology. Okay. People will respect you more, not less because you made that apology, but we can't keep gaslighting people and acting like it's okay. Have you ever, um, maybe you've done this too, uh, but have you ever had somebody come confront you about gaslighting them and you gaslight them while they're confronting you about gaslighting oh, them? Gaslight them about the gaslighting? Yeah. Absolutely. Right? Before I knew what it was, I'm like, gaslighting? What the? Don't you psycho babble on me? <laughs> Whatever. You know, then I come home and talk to my wife who's a therapist and she's like, well, that you did kind of do that, right? Yeah. You know? Um, but that's the one thing that I've, I've always tried to do. I was a very imperfect pastor. Okay? I guess I still am a pastor. I'm not a practicing pastor. That's not my day job. Um, but I do pastor people. I have always been an imperfect pastor. I will always be an imperfect pastor. But one thing that I tried to do, and Sean, you served in ministries with me over the years, yes. I tried to be the quickest person 
on any staff I was on to apologize because I'm going to make huge mistakes, but I'm going to come, I'm going to apologize. I'm going to eat crow because I can't do this alone. Right. Um, so when I started trying to get healthy and I realized, you know, with the help of a therapist that I was gaslighting people, that was something that helped me get out of it was every time that I recognized I did it even afterwards, I had to go back and make the apology. Well, right? the, and people will appreciate that because I mean, I'm a teacher and I, apologize to my students all the time if I've done something wrong made them feel a certain way whatever and I've thought about it and you know what I'm like I'm I'm sorry I did that and um let's start over so you know and they appreciate that even a, a teenager can yeah. understand where you're coming from good or bad well there's a lot of people who would say why would you as a teacher as the adult apologize to the students if I'm in the wrong I'm in the wrong doesn't matter how old you are no it does not it doesn't matter whether you have the position of authority and just because they're a teenager doesn't invalidate their hurt yep. you know right, I right. mean so you it, I would 100% support any leader in the church whatever level they are um, acknowledge and apologize absolutely 100% so let me ask you let me ask you Jeff like about so you're saying um Gaslighting that you realized happened naturally with you, yeah. right? Okay. Um, what about when you feel obligated to do it for your because you're an employee of yeah. of a church, right? And you have to hold to their way of doing things, yeah. their their mission, their values, whatever you want to call it. But like, so you feel like yeah. led to be like, I have to do this because yeah. I'm. Not I'm being paid to do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And how many times have you heard them say you've got to you got to use the company line? Yeah. Well, oh. first of all, oh, let's, that's yeah. Let's start there. They never said, Jeff, you have to gaslight. Here's the page of the handbook where you learn <laughs> how to do that. Well, of course not. But, but what they would say is like Sean said, there was a company line and you had to give the company line. Um, but because I led at one point, I was leading hundreds of volunteers, right? Mm -hmm. Hundreds of adult volunteers. I was leading, um, you know, over a thousand students a month, right? So when you got all those volunteers, you're going to have sparks, you're going to have issues. Um, I still remember one point where I was given the company line for one volunteer, but I had to tell them something about another volunteer as well. And because I gave the company line, I did not feel good about it. I knew I was gaslighting them. I knew in a way that it, I didn't even know it was gaslighting at that point, but I knew it was wrong. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Like it just didn't feel yeah. right. Like I didn't know what it was, but I knew it wasn't right. Mm -hmm. um, even down to the way I was having to talk about a person. Um, that conversation caused one entire family, four people, two adults, two kids to leave the church. Never saw them again. Never saw them again. It caused another family to leave the church, a family of three. They left the church because that person went and said, hey, here's the conversation I just had with Pastor Jeff, right? Mm -hmm. um, they stayed for a little while, eventually left, but they called me and said, hey, what's going on? And then I'm trying to tell them what's going on, trying to keep them at the church while also not losing my job. Because if I just tell the truth, I am straight up about to lose my job because it's going to make my boss look terrible. Yeah. Okay. The company line was his line. But if I say anybody said it besides me, then we're really in trouble. At the same time, that was the first time I realized that I could be sacrificed on the altar of ministry. Yeah, I can't say that you said it, but if I don't say that you said it, then you can actually fire me over this. We're able to smooth it over. That person eventually leaves, but they can never get over it, and they never got an apology. And eventually I just had to tell them, I had to apologize for my part in it. But I also had to tell them I had to say it. It wasn't my choice. Then they reached back out to my boss. Right. And I still remember I, I didn't lose my job like I thought I might, but he refused. 
to meet with them and said, hey, if we're washing this under the bridge, then, you know, maybe, right? Um, I've given you like a canned apology, but if you want to talk about this again, we're not going to talk about it, right? Both of those though, like I'll tell you, when all of this stuff blew up, I was apologizing to them because every time I took somebody on at the church level and said, hey, this is wrong. We can't keep doing this. And if I took them on at the church level, it was because I'd already tried to have individual conversations and they'd refused. Every time I took someone on, I had to admit to my own sin. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it made oh, me yeah. look terrible. Well, of course. I mean, it made me look like an absolute jackass. So I had to, I, I was talking to so many people and saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And if I could just stop right now, if you're watching the podcast and you go, Hey, I was one of those people, Jeff, I don't even know if you know it, but you hurt me. If you will reach out, if you'll send me a DM, if you'll send me a text, if you'll reach out in the community, whatever, um, I would love to sit down to meet with you, to talk with you over FaceTime. I will apologize. I need to hear what I did. I need to understand it, but no holds barred. I will apologize because I know I did that stuff. I know I did it. And sometimes it was my own fault. And sometimes I was made to do it. But here's what I can promise you. I'm sorry. And if you haven't gotten an apology and you feel like you need one, um, you would like one, I want to honor you. And I want to give that apology. Uh, But I reached out on Instagram to one of them. um, Just said, hey, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry for this. This is my fault. And they said, hey, you've already apologized multiple times. You don't have to keep apologizing. The apology I wanted was from them. I respect you. Another one of the people in that scenario, they had blocked me on social media, unfollowed me, you know, years ago. I didn't even know where they were. And all of a sudden I get a follow back and I get a message that says, hey, thank you so much for doing this. This gives me hope for the church. Mm. What gave them hope for the church was simply me calling my own foul while calling some other people's fouls, right? So um, no, but Vicki, that's a great question because I there was a lot of times where I felt like, hey, I have to give the company line. I have to do this thing this way, say this thing this way. And even though I didn't know it was gaslighting most of the time, I knew it was wrong, but I did it anyway because I was fearful of losing a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Stayed at a church for years, fearful of losing a paycheck. My wife stayed longer after that, and I stayed silent because we didn't want to lose the paycheck. My greatest regret in ministry is going along with the things they asked me to do and telling lies on church leaders' behalves just so I could keep a paycheck. Yeah. And that will haunt me for the rest of my life. But, you know, it is a hard situation. I mean, I had I had this I had similar issues in my own thing, you know, doing things that I thought were uh maybe not unethical, but gray that I wasn't super comfortable yeah, with. Gray's unethical. Sure. But if you feel like it's gray, it's unethical. Don't do it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, cause you, you don't do certain things, you lose the paycheck and you're like, what's going to happen now? What am I going to do? My family's going to live on the street, you know? Um, ultimately it's a lack of faith when you feel that way. Cause you know, if you are a believer and you believe that God's going to take care of you and if you're doing the right thing, he's going to take care of you. So in my, in my part, it's, it's, it could be a lack of faith. Practically. It's also a lack of rent money. Yes, I agree. Let's be real. But again, I mean, if, if I know that God can take care of us, that Jesus is going to take care of me, yeah. but that doesn't change the fact that I got to pay my rent. I got to pay my mortgage. I don't want to be homeless. I don't want to be someone who doesn't provide for my family. What mm-hmm. am I going to do? Apply for benevolence at the church that just fired me? Wait, you know. Well, and the fact that, I mean, you did agree to be their employee, you know, so, I mean, there's a part of that contract, you know, and so it's a hard place to be, to be an employee of somewhere that is spiritual, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, you know, in the church 
world body of the church, you know, and so I'm sure that is that has to. I mean, that it's it's a really hard place to be, and so then, in a way, the person doing the gaslighting becomes it's becomes a victim too. Yeah, well, they do because you know the people who are doing the gaslighting they work for a guy named Jesus, right? And his expectation was that we treated people better than that. Mm-hmm. So. We still haven't even made it through the definitions of oh, wow. gaslighting. There's so much here. Well, so, and I have a little too to add, so go ahead. Yeah, okay, okay. Stop me at any time. <laughs> okay. Um, so Sarah Christensen um, actually works and writes for Happier Human, and uh, she wrote this, spiritual gaslighting, because anytime you have gaslighting, you have emotional abuse, you have any of that sort of stuff, right? It goes to a whole nother level anytime it becomes religious or spiritual in nature. Because now you're you're abusing people at their core identity, right? You're representing God in the abuse. They feel like they're getting abused by God, mm-hmm. okay? Now, um, which we'll talk about that in another episode, but I remember feeling like I was getting abused by God when I had a leader tell me, in my quiet time this morning, God told me to fire you. And I remember going home that day going, God, why did you fire me, right? Me and God, we wrestled back and forth for a while before I heard the Holy Spirit say very clearly, I didn't fire you. I didn't cause it. I just let it happen, right? Um, But no, do you know how damaging that was to hear, oh, let let me tell you, I was in my quiet time this morning, I was praying, and uh, man, the heavens opened up, and the Lord began to speak to me, and he said directly into my spirit, it's time for Jeff to go. That guy sucks. God hates you. Wow. That's that's what it feels like. That's like the ultimate gaslighting move. I mean, (laughs) using the Almighty as the, you know, reason, wow. It happens a lot more than you would think, right? Yeah. Um, a lot of times it sounds like, you know, with a volunteer, I've uh, really been praying about that, and, and I just feel like God is telling me that your time here is is over, your season in this ministry Maybe you over. should do something else. Maybe you're being called to do something else. I've heard that before. I feel like God's calling you to a season of rest. Uh. <laughs> they don't care anything about your rest. They care about getting you out of out the area. Of the way. Because usually why? You're asking questions that are uncomfortable. That are valid questions. But Sarah Christensen writes for Happier Humans, and she said, spiritual gaslighting is a form of emotional manipulation by anyone who uses religious or spiritual information, beliefs, or doctrines to, here's the key part, invalidate your perception or spiritual experience. Again, it's all about controlling the narrative and the perception. We're good people. We're doing good things. And if you disagree or have questions, it's because you're not spiritual enough and you don't love Jesus enough. And that is a quick way to shut most Christ followers up. Again, it shuts them up. It shuts them down. And it gives back control to the abuser. Well, yeah. I would like to add this that I pulled up. Persistent pattern of statements that causes you to become insecure about yourself and your beliefs. And yeah. to me, that is a very dangerous place to put people in. Yeah. Not just insecure about yourself, but your beliefs. Your it's beliefs. my identity and what I believe yes. God thinks about me. Right, And we should be concerned when people leave. And I, I even remember people going, oh, they left, they left the church because they got offended. Uh, that word offended. Well, um, why? Did you did you have a conversation with them? I mean, what what is what are they offended by? If you want to use that word, I think that's just another form of gaslighting too, like dismissing their reasons for leaving. That's so roughly on the list, when they tell you, I think you have a spirit of offense. <laughs> 
No, I don't have a spirit of offense. You were just offensive, and it bothered me. And okay, yeah. so you know, um, did you sit down and have a legitimate conversation before these people left? These families, these members that left. I mean, what's wrong with that? Um, in the church today, we have to be very, very careful. I mean, I think it's important that we don't lose people. Mm-hmm. Well, so here's the reason why it's important we don't lose people. Because if you're a pastor of a church, you're the shepherd of that flock. So when you lose people and you let them go just because they got offended, that's the same thing. Think about this. Your master, the God of the universe, said, if you love me, feed my sheep, take care of my sheep. So pastor, you go out, you're shepherding. All of a sudden, a sheep leaves and you say, oh, well, they just left because they were offended. (laughs) Were they your sheep or not? Because Jesus is going to call you to account over that sheep. Now, if that's a sheep that was just like suicidal and wanted to leave and they never stay in the pen no matter what you did, and at some point you had to stop running after them to protect all of the sheep, I could get that, right? But we let people leave like it's no big deal. We let staff members leave like it's no big deal, forgetting that pastor, if you are a senior leader, all of the people you pay at your church are also members of your church. They are members of your flock. They are sheep to be protected, and you will be held to account about how you pastored them. So if you're ready to fire them, look, I get it. we got to fire people sometimes. Yeah. But if you're going to fire them, you'd better be ready to pastor them and take care of their family through it. And taking care of their family does not mean a severance payment that is tied to your silence or telling our narrative. That's called lying, kids, and we're not going to do that. That's not called a gift. That's not called supporting your family. That's called coercion. And payoff. Hush money. To be hush money, yes. Payoffs, hush money. I had a a pastor. Mm -hmm. He fired me once and uh, totally, I don't don't want to get At least your pastor fired you. God fired me. No, that's true. (laughs) You got to level up. I don't know what you did to... To piss off God, but man. Anyways, so I had a pastor that fired me. I won't go into the whole story. Um, and, and he just, he wanted me out. Like, he's like, you're you're out today. And I didn't do anything. It was like the weekend after Easter. And I was like, okay. Uh, and then he called me up later that week because he was getting questions. People were upset. People were like, what's happening? Why? What? What's going on? He's like, hey, I want to bring you back in this Sunday. We're going to do a love offering for you and your family. We'll bring you up front. Tell them everybody how great you are and how much we're going to miss you. And I'm like, no, thanks. I'm good. We're also going to tell them that God has called you to your next season and they're going to think you left on your own. And here's the biggest problem with that. The biggest problem with that is not even the lying. It's that they're forcing you to lie instead of getting support in a season where you need the most support. You just lost your job. Your calling has just been rocked. And then you have to tell people, oh, yeah, I just got called away. God's got a new assignment for me. Okay, I'm telling you. I know very few pastors who have actually been called away to another assignment. 90 plus percent of the pastors I know that have left the church have been fired, forced out. So the next time someone leaves and you didn't see it coming because it seems like they were really invested where they were at, start asking questions of your leaders and say, hey, did they really leave on their own volition? Did they really want to leave? Or are they being called somewhere else because they got forced out? And if your pastor will talk to you about it, it will start great conversations. They may have to say, hey, we fired them because they couldn't do X, Y, and Z. Those are great conversations. The fact that pastors don't have to have those conversations anymore makes it easier to let people go. It makes it easy for you to get offended and just let somebody go. But hey, if they have that conversation with you, great. If they respond with one of the gaslighting phrases we're talking about today... That is your key 
you call them out on the gaslighting, you do your best to respond to it. And if they don't respond to that, that's when you know your time at that church is up and nobody needs to be at that church. Pastors, it's not about the mistakes we make. It is about how we respond or don't respond to the mistakes. Yeah. So the same lady, Sarah Christensen, Happier Humans, she said this. So she gives the definition and she gives her own kind of layman's terms, right? So this is the Sarah Christensen um, kind of version or translation of this. She says, my view of gaslighting is basically someone trying to feed you bullshit things that don't make sense when you stop to think about it. But it can be subtle and difficult to spot if you're dealing with a clever narcissistic gaslighter. All they're doing is feeding you bullshit that doesn't make sense when you really think about it. Yeah. But if they're clever and they use spiritual words and they use whitewashed phrases and they use scripture, because you can gaslight someone by using scripture, right? Out of context, using scripture without the full, you know, without the full counsel or the word of God, yeah. right? Then all you're doing, you're giving people stuff that would never make sense in a vacuum, but because of the way you're doing it, because the way you come about it, because you're using spiritual things and scripture and whitewashed words, they begin to believe it and instead walk away saying, I shouldn't have even corrected that person. Something's wrong with me now. Yeah. Right? If you're correcting someone, a church leader of any kind, and you're correcting them because you feel like they've been mistreating someone or someone's being abused in the system, you're never wrong. Okay? Even if you don't have all the information. There is something wrong there that needs to be addressed. So you should never be just sent home, sent packing right. and saying, we're going to ignore this. Um, this, this is what's crazy to me though. A lot of times when pastors are gaslighting the worst, they don't know they're doing it because no one's ever educated them and no one's ever called them on it. And the longer we go without calling them on it, right? Not calling them on the first thing that led to the gaslighting. It's when we don't call them on the gaslighting, they, it just gets ingrained in them. It's part of their leadership DNA. It's a part of how they have conversations, right? That's why it's so important that when we experience gaslighting in church context, we have to call people on it immediately. I did it. Didn't know I was doing it on purpose. Um, you, you know, you guys know the story. Some of our listeners know the story. And if you do, you do. If you know, you know, if you don't, you don't, we're not going to name names. We're not going to talk about it right now, but the, only church that I've ever had to go public with on church discipline because systematically they refused to have a single conversation between myself and the pastor about abuses that I saw abuses that could be proven. Mm -hmm. Right. The only time I've ever had to do that, it came with a caveat. I told the elders when I met with them and sat around this table, I said, Hey, I don't think this person's doing it on purpose. I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't think he's the spawn of Satan. I think he loves Jesus. I think he's trying, but he's doing this and it's his default response. And if that doesn't change, people are going to continue to get hurt. And it doesn't matter whether you don't understand it. It doesn't matter whether you understand gaslighting or not. The truth is it's happening and it has to stop. And even the excuse right there, a couple of older men use their age as an excuse. Hey, you're just going to have to help us. We're older. What is gaslighting? What is blame shifting? You're going to have to explain yeah. this to us. And they try to use their ignorance as an excuse, right? Mm -hmm. So again, people may not know it. We need to give them the benefit of the doubt, but that's why it's important that we always call out gaslighting when we see it, right? Yeah. So I remember sitting at this table with that same group and I had to stop them at one point and I said, Hey, I love you guys. I don't think you're doing this on purpose. So I'm not trying to be mean at all. But every time I bring up a concern, 
you start pointing at things that I've done wrong. You start trying to turn the sin back on me. And either you are gaslighting in me into thinking that, you know, my memory's wrong or it didn't really happen that way, or you're just pointing at my sin instead and trying to blame shift. Yeah. And I said, so if you want to talk about my sin, let's talk about my sin at a separate time. But please stop moving from the conversations we're having about concerns that I've had to gaslighting and blame shifting. We're not going to do it anymore. And it's like you could have heard a pin drop in the room. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they realized they were doing it? I think they did. I think because they had to look up what gaslighting was, they had to look up because it was part of the accusations mm -hmm. that I'd made. I'd actually shown them not only proof of communication with gaslighting, I'd shown them where a psychologist had pointed out word by word, phrase by phrase, these are gaslighting phrases, mm -hmm. right? Um, and they just didn't want to deal with it. They were doing the same thing. I don't think they were doing it intentionally, but mm -hmm. they knew what it what was. It was more of this is the playbook of how we've always handled disgruntled people. And Jeff is just another disgruntled person that we've got to shut up. We've got to shut down. We got to take back control. So you can't stop using that playbook automatically. I didn't stop gaslighting people in one day. It took a while. And for a lot of churches, the playbook of how you handle any sort of conflict, man, it's gaslight, it's blame shift, it's evade, and then cut ties completely if the person doesn't turn around. Yeah. Well, and that just goes back to if you're wrong, then you don't really have much of a choice but to gaslight or blame shift. Uh, that's, I mean, you're wrong. So either you have to admit, yeah, we were wrong on that, or, hey, you don't understand the situation. You're not, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Or you, you, let's look at what you did. Let's focus on that. So, yep. Well, and I think another thing you have to be careful of is when you try to have open conversations, which is always good, we should always have open conversations about things like this. But when you do start to try to share this with other people and that's not been their experience. And so it's, it's either, um, like they don't believe you or, or maybe it's like, it's not that I'm not saying this didn't happen, but did it like they almost do their own form of gaslighting too, because it's like, that's not what's happened to me. And I'm going to oh, yeah. be in defense of those said people because I don't see that in them. And I don't believe they would do that. And yet I'm like, but don't invalidate my experience. I'm not lying. I'm not making this up. It happened to me. It's been my experience. Mm -hmm. It may not be your experience, but it definitely is my experience. And I'm not saying if it was happening to everybody all the time in every conversation, that church wouldn't still exist. No, right? it would be a so, hot dumpster fire of a mess. Yes. I, I remember after, you know, after going public and writing an open letter of, you know, correction and whatnot, which I never thought I would do, by the way, um, you know, church discipline, we'll talk about this on a later episode as well, but church discipline works so well when we have the conversations that it never has to go public. Right. But so I'm in this public mode where people now know what's happened. It's not ever what I wanted to happen, but I started having people who I knew, who I loved, who I had pastored, and they could not reconcile that this was the truth. They also knew I'm not a liar because anybody who knows me, the one thing they will say is Jeff is honest to a fault, right? I actually remember one of the leaders that I had at that church who despises me now. I've heard from many people about how upset he is about how I've handled all of this has my phone number. Um, you know who you are. Call me, text me, love you. We'll talk. Right. But he's just upset, totally throwing me out. Like I don't exist. Um, but he actually said one time, 
when we were in a development conversation, Jeff, one of the greatest gifts I think you have is that you will do what's right, whether anybody else agrees or not. You have such a sense of integrity, you will always fight for what's right. And now he's now that's come back against him. Yeah, come and, back to bid him, yeah. right? Um, but, but I have other people who know that, people I've pastored, and they're like, okay, this has not been our experience at this church. But Jeff has brought up something with evidence, a lot of evidence. So there's surely there's something there, but also this is not my experience at this church. I know Jeff didn't lie, so what I kept getting was this, which is, again, it's kind of like a pseudo-gaslighting. People aren't doing it on purpose. They just they can't fathom, how can I stay at this church where I've had a good experience if these things are true? So let me find a way to navigate this. So they would say things like this. Um, you know, I'd have people respond on Facebook or send me text messages here and there, and they'd say, well, I know you and respect you, but I also know them and respect them, and this has not been my experience at this church. I know you have a lot of evidence, but I don't know what they have to say. We're only hearing one side of the story, and there's always two sides to every story, which invalidated my response completely. What was even more frustrating was that I had posted hours of recorded conversations, emails, text messages of, I posted both sides of the story, even things that made me look terrible, right? I'm not scared of that. Yet I still had people say, well, there's something we don't know. There's two sides of the story. Why do people do that? Because if you've been through church hurt and you've, you've talked to people about it, there are people who you cared about who are still at that church who are having a hard time either reconciling that with you or they've cut your, their relationship with you entirely is what normally happens right? Or when you talk, you can only talk about surface things because they don't want to talk about anything that hurt their church. They're not doing that because they don't love you. They're not doing that because they're a bad person. They're doing that because their identity is tied to the church they go to. Their spiritual identity is tied more to the church they go to than to the Jesus they serve. And if they say, hey, if they recognize what happened to you is true, then they have to leave their church or they have to have uncomfortable conversations that they already know at that point aren't going to go well. Yeah. Right. So here's what I would do. If you're on the other side of someone who's been church hurt and you're struggling because it's, it's not, um, it's not in line with your experience. What I would ask you to do is simply have conversations, have conversations, ask to get the people in the room, assume that there's something there. Don't assume you need to leave the church, but assume there is something there and, and don't take easy answers and gaslighting phrases. Um, d- don't take those, as answers, you know, and I know in, in the same process, the same season that we were in, as we're trying to bring this correction, um, a person that I know went to the senior pastor and said, Hey, you got to help me understand a couple of people who have, who have left. Feels like they got forced out. This doesn't feel right. I've heard some things. And the answer from both the pastor and his right hand person, do you trust me? Do you trust pastor? Two separate conversations. If you trust me, if you trust him, you don't have to ask. Yeah. That's straight up abuse. Well, um, then it ended the conversation right away and really put that person that was receiving that statement in a really bad spiritual place. Yeah. Because what am I going to do if I keep pushing? And moral I don't trust you. And now the issues become, oh, I just don't trust my pastor. It's a lose-lose situation. Absolutely. But here's the deal. If you're a pastor or a church leader, or even just someone you're in a relationship with, anytime someone says, if you trust me, you don't have to ask, they are completely untrustworthy. 
in every sense of the word, okay? If you can trust me, then you can ask me about anything. And I'm going to tell you the truth, right? When someone uses, if you trust me, if you love me, you don't have to ask, they are already guilty of what you're asking about. What it should be is my, my response would to, to that question would be, well, I thought I did. So let's have a conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I trust you. That's why I'm asking. Yeah. That's why I'm That's asking. Why I didn't just leave. I thought I did. I thought I trusted you. So let's have a conversation. The question is, do you trust me enough? Are you going to answer? Give me an answer. Right. That's what I'm saying. Are you going to answer my questions? Yeah. Are you going to Are you going to have a legitimate conversation about my concerns? But in Bottom that situation, line. you and I can say that in that situation with someone who has spiritual authority over you, you well, wilt. Well, of course you will. That is so there, hard that. to do. Yeah. It took me. It took me to the point where I was already willing to leave a church before I started bringing any sort of correction. I was willing to lose my job. Um, and it was probably another year after that before I went. And I still remember sitting in the congregation as a parishioner. Um, and the, the pastor just said at one point, he was, he was talking about discipline and uh, man, it, it's crazy. Like I've, I've got it on video. It's ridiculous. He basically justifies physically abusing his kids. And it was a joke and it was made as a joke, but there were dads that already struggled with physical violence in their families in the room who heard God says it's okay to beat my kids. I grew up in an abusive household, so I leave, man. It's a Father's Day message. I leave. I meet him out in the lobby, pull him off the side. It's like, hey, I'm not, not trying to be mean, but pastor, you can't say that. You can't say that, right? It took me over a year after being off church staff before I could stand toe-to-toe with them. And I'm going to tell you, I was sweating out of my armpits. Man, I was sweating everywhere. It was bad. I was scared to death. There's nothing special about the guy other than he has the title of pastor and he was once my pastor. But something about standing toe-to-toe with him and having to say, you can't say that, you have to apologize. Yeah. right. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. So I can't imagine that for a normal parishioner. When they say, trust me, that's the end of the conversation. Absolutely. But it also, I don't care who you are, that, that'll that break trust in you. You may, you may say, yes, I trust you and walk away, but there's always going to be something inside you be like, can I really trust them? Yeah. Like if you have to, if that's even, like you may not have been questioning it before, but that will make you question it. Yep. So let's talk about some things that gaslighters do. If you're not sure if it's gaslighting, here are some things that they do. Let's talk about it really practically. And then we're going to jump into some of our uh, favorite or least favorite, I don't know the way to say it, the cringiest gaslighting phrases there you go. Um, that we have heard in the church. They're uh, spiritualized, they have verses attached to them. Uh, but where, just, just because something has a verse attached to it doesn't mean it's biblical. Okay, there's yeah. a whole lot of people, and we're going to talk in future podcast episodes, we're going to dive into some misunderstood verses, we're going to dive deep into theology, right? There are so many pastors who are spiritually illiterate that they've got like a whole viewpoint and ideal that they're going to teach. They've got verses for it, but they don't have the other half of those verses. They don't understand the context of the verses they're using. That happens when you go into a sermon prep with a preconceived, this is what I'm talking about. And then you just search Google, or if you have logos or whatever, say what verses about this. And then you just get those verses that just come in. Pastors should have to publish their search history. And if they have Googled verses about this, fired right there. But I think if you publish your search history, there's going to be a lot of pastors who get fired for other reasons. Well, yeah, the porn would probably come up first. <laughs> oh, okay. That's another podcast. Not every pastor, okay? We're not trying no, to say, come on, no. Not every pastor's addicted not. to porn, but a lot of them are, okay? And I'm just saying, like, the statistics are unreal, yeah. and I'm not even trying to push on pastors there because no. it's really unfair. 
if a pastor tells you, hey, I'm struggling with a porn addiction and I need help, most churches, we're going to fire them. They have to keep it secret. So that's not even, I'm not even pushing that necessarily on on the pastor because, man, I mean, there's just things you don't tell people. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where a lot of this stuff starts. So churches, we got to be better at hearing from our pastors and letting our pastors heal and giving them some grace when they're not perfect. Pastors, we've got to stop being jerks. Well, I think I think churches really do need to do a better job as a whole on giving pastors avenues to heal. Like, hey, pastors need counseling. Pastors need uh, every pastor needs a therapist. every every single one point blank period. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. The, we need to give them better resources and more grace. Like, hey, there needs to be a space. Maybe not to the whole church. Maybe not standing in front of the whole church saying, "Hey, I have a porn addiction," because that's gonna be that's gonna be an issue. But going to like trusted members that have been set up just for that reason saying, Hey, I am yeah. struggling with this and getting help with that. There's not just be a way there, there has to be, there also have to be resources though. You can't yes. pay your youth pastor 30 grand a year. They can't afford to buy a house. The only reason they can afford to live in an apartment is because they're living off their wife's money or their spouse's money. Right. You can't pay them 30 grand a year and then go, yeah, we support you. Go get therapy. Yeah. And right. Then, Some of the most underpaid but, people I've ever met are in the church. Yeah. Hey, you work for the kingdom, so we'll pay you less than Bucky's would pay you. Yeah. We'll pay you McDonald's money. Right? Unless, so you gotta give them resources. you're in a mega church, and then that's a whole nother podcast. No, oh, no, 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 no. At a mega church, let's just go ahead and blow this wide open. This is oh, not I what mean, this podcast is about. people at a higher level? Yeah, I get it. This is not what this podcast is about, but we're gonna talk about it. Right? Yeah. This is awesome. If you're at a mega church, and there's a lot of money flowing through that, the senior pastor and the executive level leaders, they make the cheddar cheese. Yes. It's right. for real. That's what I'm talking about. If you're not like that top group of three to five... Then you're like teachers. You make... Yeah. No, 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 Vicky. This, this is crazy. You make less as a standard pastor. The majority of their staff, you will make significantly less at a multi-site church than you will ever make anywhere else in the church world. And they justify it and tell you, you make less here because of the difference you can make in the kingdom, which makes you feel like if you leave somewhere else for the money so that you can actually pay your bills, it's because I don't care enough about the kingdom. Well, there's gaslighting. gaslighting. Yeah. It's it's also, yeah, right there. (laughs) So it is connected to the podcast, but it's also this man. It's one of those deals of that, those conversations in the same breath, basically tell you that all of your friends and the other pastors, you know, that work for these small churches, they're not making as big of an impact as you are. Yeah, I've worked for tiny churches. I've worked for brand new churches. I've worked for churches in the 200-person range. And I've worked for churches with 10,000 people coming. At least they said it was 10,000. I think it was like 7,000, but pastor math, whatever. But that's a different <laughs> podcast episode as well. There's a lot of episodes that could spin off of this one. But wow, um, the, the, the whole deal there, I'm telling you, I made as big of an impact. And some of my favorite days in ministry was at a 200-person church, man. Yeah, it was just good stuff. I thought for so long I wanted the mega church more than anything. It was my dream because you think you're going to reach more people. Yeah, and then I got there, bigger impact, right? A few years later, I realized it wasn't my dream; it was my nightmare. Mm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. Same. So let's talk about this. Well, and so I will say, I, I think you bring up a really great point, Sean, about we need to support our pastors because, um. Wow, you put a heavy weight on them mm-hmm. to be the leader of of a of, of, of a church body of people, the followers, 
And, you know, if you're trying to take care of them, who's taking care of you? Yes, of course, God's leading you and helping you, but we're human. We're flesh. We make mistakes. We need help. We have problems, too. Everybody has problems, even pastors. Yeah. And the thing is, if you're not gaslighting, if you're actually apologizing when things go wrong, you're stepping into this stuff, more people will forgive you than you think. Oh, yeah. Right? It's the issue of our pastors are so insecure for the most part. Um, the most insecure people I've ever met were pastors. I, as a pastor who was very successful, was one of the most insecure people that you would ever well, meet. Well, and, right? and pastors are put on a pedestal by people too. Not not in not like not necessarily intentionally, but we do put them on a higher level mm-hmm. because of their education and their status and and trusting in their leadership. Well, and biblically, they're supposed to be right. Absolutely, and so. Wow, what a place to put a pastor, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, well, when we let that insecurity lead us, though, then we have to fight back for control anytime something threatens us. So, anytime someone asks us about something that shouldn't be happening in the church but could easily be corrected, mm-hmm. instead of dealing with it, what do we do, right? And we, I would, well, I would appreciate, um, I would appreciate a pastor being very open and honest about any anything like that that means more because that humanizes them yeah. because there is a part where yes they are set apart from us you know what i'm saying like as a leader and you know especially in the church setting but like i i would be like oh well okay yeah. it's okay f- that i messed up because they've mess- had their own version of messed up and yeah. we're we're the same here you know what i mean to a point but if you feel like you have to be perfect then you will fight for the facade of perfect, no oh, matter yeah. who you have to run over right. and who you have to destroy to get there. And that's that's a lot of what's happening. Here's what I want to do. Here's my dream, right? Um, we want to start a, a nonprofit, okay? There's a nonprofit I want to start. I'm not going to give the name of it because there are people who literally just take the name so I can have it. Um, <laughs> we're in that place. There's some petty people who are trying to destroy everything I do. But I want to start a nonprofit when we can true. that literally is for doing research on spiritual abuse and church hurt. It's practical resources to help people heal. Um, But here's two things I want to do that are huge. Okay. Number one, I want to be able to end the use of NDAs in the church with the nonprofit by simply saying this, we want to get to the point to where we can say, if you're on church staff and you get offered a severance that's tied to an NDA, bring us your severance and we'll match the payment. Bring us the, the NDA, we'll match the payment, and we'll post the NDA and go, we had to take care of this person because the church wouldn't. Well, yeah, yeah right? because... But here's the other thing we want to do. We want to get to the point where pastors, to where if a pastor comes early on in sin, early on, like, hey, I'm struggling with porn, not like I'm way deep down the rabbit hole and doing illegal stuff, right? Yeah. Um, or I'm struggling with drinking, that if a pastor comes forward early and they lose their job that will take care of their salary and help them find another church. We want to support both the the pastors who are, you know, being forced to sign these NDAs and senior pastors who make mistakes. That's the hope. Um, now, of course, before we start the nonprofit, this podcast has to be profitable enough um, for us to be uh, the, the first donor. That's kind of what I feel like God has given us. And right now we're, well, we're hemorrhaging money, um, but that's because we're starting and things are expensive yeah. to start. But that's where we want to go. We want to end that because if we can take away some of those insecurities, insecurity around money, then people will tell the truth, right? If we can take away insecurity of what if I lose my job and lose my calling, then people will begin to tell the truth. And all of this is coming back to, in the church, we need more people who are willing to be honest and tell the truth. 
Instead of controlled hmm. and follow a narrative. Yeah. And being gaslit. Yeah. It looked like you had something to say a minute ago. No. I was on a I was on a roll that no, I, I, I don't I don't I, no, I I we'll circle back. It'll come back. Okay. <laughs> so here's some things that gaslighters do if you're not sure, hey, what I've been experiencing, is it gaslighting or or is it not? Um, gaslighters guilt trip you into submitting to their beliefs and ideals. Sometimes those are spiritual beliefs and ideals. Sometimes those are the way that the organizations ran, but they guilt trip and shame you into submitting to what they believe. Have you guys seen any of that? I mean, how many messages are preached that are like that, that just, you know, if you don't believe this, uh, it's going to be tough for you. You know, God, God's not happy with you. God hates this and hates that. And, and the, you know, if you're doing this, if you're looking at that, if you're whatever, then, you know, you're disappointing God, you're disappointing me. You know, I've, I've, Mm. I've seen, I've heard pastors preach like, Hey, you're, you're a disappointment to me if you do this. And it's like, ah, uh, and, and some people are like, well, I'm I'm not worried about disappointing you. I'm worried about disappointing God. Well, good. You're doing that too. You know, and not to say that we can't disappoint God uh, in things we do and that, you know, there are things that we shouldn't, shouldn't do. But I think there are better ways to say it, better ways yeah, well, to... Well, God, where in Scripture do you hear about God being disappointed? It's just a rare thing. Yeah. Right? God is often more angry over people's sin and lack of repentance mm-hmm. over sin than anything. We see His love, we see His anger, we don't often see His disappointment, mm-hmm. right? Um, but man, I, I've, I've seen this where it's like, hey, if you don't get on board of this initiative, then you're the reason we're not reaching more people. Mm-hmm. You're the thing that's slowing us down. You, If you don't get on board with this, you'll become the lid to the organization. Like I remember at one church that that you know I was at, um, they were doing a vote to basically remove members and remove accountability. Um, and the staff was forced to. It wasn't a, hey, do you really want to? The staff was, one, forced to vote yes for this, and two, to talk people into voting for it. Had to do whatever it took to get them to vote for this. Um, and if you didn't, you were going to lose your job, Right. But it was said in multiple meetings, if we don't get this vote passed, then all the people who vote no, they will be the lid to the organization. They'll be the lid to us reaching more people. Um, in another instance, is if you don't vote to you know, buy this building or to get this loan, um, then you need to write us a check for like $5 million because uh, you're the reason why we can't move forward. And it's all of this guilt, all of this shame. Um, it happens little ways, happens with big ways, but when someone is guilting you, or shaming you into buying into their way of seeing things, something's wrong because we should always have the ability to say, I see that differently. Yeah. Right. Um, here's the other thing. Gas lighters criticize. They criticize. How many times have we seen that you disagree and I'll start criticizing you. It's the same thing with the elders around this table. Oh, you brought up a valid point. Let's criticize your behavior now. Yeah. Right. Denying facts. All the time. Tell me about it, Sean. It just, uh, okay. So I was working at a church and they had these goals that they would set and all that. And so my goals were very technical. Like I, I had to keep track of specific numbers and stuff. And um, our race. Keep track of baptisms. <laughs> I didn't have to keep track of that. They tried to, but I was like, I literally have no control over that. I, I had no control over it either. It's kind of a thing that God's responsible for. It sure. comes after salvation. Yet, my whether myself and my team, the people who worked with me and all my staff, whether we got a raise or not, yeah, was tied to whether we baptized 250 people or not. Yeah. How many salvations did you have to track? Well, we had to track everything. Yeah. 
And I don't, to be clear, I don't think tracking those things and looking at those things is a bad thing. But when you're setting goals based on that, who that uh, really uh, surrounds your income, then it becomes less about somebody's spiritual health and more about let's just let's dunk them and get them out, dunk them and get them out. I tried to do it the right way. So there were years, there was a year my entire staff missed getting a raise by like three baptisms. Dude, I I felt terrible. It wasn't even about me, it was about them. I knew what some of them made. This is horrible. Right? But here's the thing. I also know of other, you know, I, I know of other pastors who worked in similar areas who, man, they were dunking. We were in student ministry at the time. I know you were dunking some kids like eight times at certain campuses. Like every year, it's like, oh, you rededicated again? You want to get baptized again? You know, and yeah. it was, uh, the joke became, if we walked out and it started raining on us, the joke became amongst staff of, that's a baptism, I call that. That's okay. a, you know, we call it for our campuses. Oh, that oh my gosh, this, yeah. this is terrible. So, you know, I had to track the numbers and, uh, I, for three years, so you had, it was a scale one to five. Three was supposed to be, Hey, you're doing good. Four was like, Hey, you're incredible. Five was like, we need to give you a raise and make you CEO. You know? And I was, uh, for three years, I was at a 4.8 on my goals overall. Like like heaven's opening. And every time I talked about a raise, they would be like, well, can you prove these numbers? Yes. Here's all the proof. Well, I still, well, we're not growing, so you must be doing something wrong. And I'm like, well, I've, I've addressed that issue too. You're not growing because your back door is wide open because you're yes. treating people like absolute dog poop. And, and, and I, and I mentioned those things, which was not a good idea. Did you, did you say dog poop? I, that may have been something I threw around there. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't, I don't feel comfortable sharing that on the podcast. I'm just kidding. Uh, and and it it just became that like well then you didn't set your numbers high enough I was like well I tripled the numbers that you had the year before I took over this position and here's the proof of that well then you must have just fudged your numbers well I didn't here's the proof and and so it just kept going back and forth to where you know everything that they could say well you didn't do good enough mm-hmm. and they I mean I would be told I wasn't good enough and I'm like what else do you want me to do like yeah. I've I've, you, you set these goals for me. I, I gave you my goals and you said, no, those are too high. We're going to do these. And these are really high. And so we did that. And I was like, okay, we hit it. And it wasn't just me. We had a team, you know, obviously, yeah. but it came down to that, that like, well, they always found a way to say it wasn't enough or it wasn't good enough or it wasn't, it wasn't right. And I've seen a lot of it when you do finally call someone on something that they did, it's a, that we didn't say it that way. Yeah. We didn't say it that way. That it wasn't said that way. You're misremembering that. They'll deny the facts. Yet, if they found out you recorded a conversation because they denied facts all of the freaking time, yeah. when they found out you recorded a conversation, you got disciplined and or fired. Oh yeah. Because you couldn't record conversations. God forbid that we have absolute accountability. Well, the last eight times we've said something, you've denied that that's what you said. Right, and it's a closed door meeting between three people. It's 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 me versus you. So now I'm going to record it. Oh, you're recording. You're not a team player. You're fired. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had those kind of conversations with raises too. Like they did, uh, they did a study, and, and uh, you you weren't executive team level, man. You weren't. I was actually church money. I was actually told. I said, hey, I'm well under what your research says I should be making. Can I can I get up to the halfway point? They said, well, there's a bunch of executives in that room who aren't making nearly what they should be making. So we're going to give we them raises take care first. Of them first. I was told that we're going to take care of them first and then we'll see what's left. They're already making well into the six figures, but they're supposed to be making a quarter million dollars. So mm-hmm. let's get them to their quarter million before we get you to 50. Now I guarantee you, uh, 
anybody who said that to me would be like, I never said, I never said that you did, but that's gaslighting kids. That's <laughs> gaslighting. Uh, so outside of uh, denying facts, it's avoiding accountability. There is no creature more slippery on this earth than a pastor trying to avoid accountability. They get slippery, man. It's tough though. Like, and I, and I know guys, I I'm not hammering pastors. Like we take it up for pastors in a lot of ways. I have some pastors who are incredible friends who they will take accountability at the drop of a hat, but you know, the ones that refuse accountability. And again, man, like when I went public with church discipline, it started with a text message to my pastor who is also a good friend. Right. Or had been a good friend. I guess we're not friends anymore. Um, but I texted him and I just said, Hey, you know, and I still remember it. What you did today was wrong and it didn't look like Jesus at all. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, if I misquoted that, that's, you know, I made that public. So it's not like I'm worried about misquoting it, but I said that and the person, they just kept coming back with, Oh, I'm so sorry. You feel that way. Mm hmm. No, no, we need to talk about this. This is happening to a lot of people, blah, blah, blah. I'm so sorry that you see it that way, right? And that was one of the things I asked multiple times, and they just kept, well, I'll let you talk to this person. I'll let you talk to that person. I'll let you, just trying to push me off until finally I said, hey, Matthew 18 says I'm supposed to come to you. You and I need to deal with this because this is about your sin, and this is about systematic sin within the church that you can control, mm -hmm. okay? If you don't want to talk about it, I'll just bring witnesses, and from that moment on, I've never heard from him again. Yeah. Well, right? the classic, the classic, I'm sorry you you felt that way. That's that's a gaslighting. That's time. gaslighting. Yeah. So I actually sent that when I actually had to, so I went with witnesses. He still refused to mm -hmm. talk to me, was protected. The staff was protecting him. All I wanted was a conversation. And I told them the entire way through, all it would take is an apology. Like, an, actually not even an apology, an admission. This is sinful. We're mistreating people. We'll work on it. They didn't have to apologize to me at all. Just say, we're not going to treat people like this going forward. And it would have went away, but they refused, they refused, they refused. So by the time it got to the elder level, which it was, this is as high as I can go without just making this public so that people know what's going on. I sent them evidence of the text messages, psychology journals that said, these are gaslighting phrases. I'm sorry if, I'm sorry, but those are called sorry gaslighting phrases, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I sent them that, sent them evidence, said, I don't even know that he's doing it on purpose, but this just goes to show you he shuts down anybody. The church shuts down anybody that tries to bring something up. And then I get attacked over that, yeah. right? Again, it's doing whatever we can to avoid accountability. And I talked to uh, the former, uh, a former executive team member of a very large mega church, a top 100 you know, church. Um, in the United States on the outreach.com list, which I'm beginning to hate that list, by the way. Not every church on that list is bad, um, but dang, a lot of them. The more I find out, the more I'm like, man, you you paid to get on that list. Anyway, I'm talking to a former executive team member at this large church, and they said, Jeff, you're not going to get anywhere um, trying to do it the right way because the job of elders in churches like that is not actually to do what they say. They say their job is to hold the pastor accountable and the church accountable. Yeah. She said, that is not their job. Their job is to block and tackle for the senior pastor and make sure that nothing sticks to him. Mm -hmm. It's all about avoiding accountability. And the entire system is set up that the highest people you can go to to get help when you need help, their whole job is to make sure nothing sticks to the pastor. And the only time they're going to remove that pastor is if by not doing it, it's going to cause them to lose something. 
Yeah. Well, and that vote that you mentioned earlier is kind of indicative of that. The the vote that um, it, I believe it was framed as a vote to so they could buy property without having to have a member meeting. I mean, I I've been a part of that vote in mo- multiple churches too. I've seen I've seen it. Oh, it's playbook in the Hillsong documentary. They talked yes. about you know why they're an institution without members. Yeah. Why they're always LLCs without members. Some, so a lot of times these churches it. will get to a point where they're like. And I, I get the, like the the property thing and stuff that that is valid. There are some concerns I can see, but what happens is they take away uh, the ability to be accountable. Well, they take away let's the be real. A select few pastors shouldn't be buying property without the church voting on it anyway. Figure it out. If you can't figure out a way, they said it's too hard to get everybody together to vote. If it's too hard to get your congregation together to vote, then how are you effectively getting them together for worship? You're too big. Yeah. You're too big to con- you're too big to take care of the sheep. There is no such thing as too big until you're too big to disciple and take care of the sheep. Yeah. But obviously if that's your problem, your problem's not the vote. Your problem is that you're too big and you need to scale back. Yeah. yeah. And if you if you read if you read most of those documents, like anytime that comes out, there's always other it's like it's like a bill going to, you know, the House of Representatives, Congress, whatever. So hard they to slip in all these other things which that one came into, you know, the members no longer had the right to vote out a pastor. Mm-mm. Or they ha- they no longer had the right to vote in a pastor. The only way the senior pastor can get removed at that church is if the elders make it happen, and the elders have to be able to prove heresy or moral failure. Well, look right? at Hillsong. That's exactly what happened. The elders find... And like you said before, they removed the senior pastor because... It was going to hurt them not to. That's that's mm-hmm. it. That's it. Because mm-hmm. right now, there's a ton of churches like that where the elders could remove the pastors because of moral failure. It's been proven there's moral failure, but as long as he didn't stick his penis in the wrong vagina, then we're not going to call it moral failure. Yeah. You know, we'll let abuse go. We'll get you know, let reading people the riot act and destroying people's faith journeys. We'll let that go as long as it's not publicly known that he's sleeping around on his wife. Yep. Right? That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Moral failure goes way beyond having sex with someone who's not your yep. spouse, right? But they're gonna protect them until it's the same thing when you think about the Hillsong documentary. It's a it's a great example of Carl Lentz gets removed from Hillsong, New York. And if you haven't seen the documentary, you should check it out because this may not make sense to you. The, the one on Hulu, not the, yeah. the other one was yeah, the, the newest one, the secrets yeah. of Hillsong. Mm-hmm. But Carl Lentz gets removed and he gets removed. And he actually says, I didn't just get removed because of the moral failure. Um, they were already upset because I was basically outshining the senior pastor. Yeah. And then the senior pastor doesn't get removed until so many things came out and the government of Australia got involved, was way involved in the middle of a royal commission where they realized the senior pastor had been lying his pants off to them for ages, about to go to this massive trial. They only got rid of the senior pastor when it was finally like, okay, we're going to lose our livelihoods attached to this. We're going to lose our identity attached to this if we don't do something, right? But until it gets to that point, it's block, it's tackle. It's make sure nothing sticks. Deny accountability. The problem is once it gets to that point, so many people are left in the wake. There's so many bodies left behind. And some pastors will take that. I mean, if you listen to the rise and fall of Mars Hill, some pastors will take that as a badge of honor. There's so many bodies in our wake because they just couldn't keep up with us. And we just ran over them and we just, but that's not, that's not a badge of honor. So let's, let's, let's talk about this. That's going to come up in another podcast, but I feel like I need to say it. Okay. That chump is still doing ministry. 
Yeah. And I don't talk about this a lot, and I try not to name names, but Mark Driscoll has been proven through a ton of documentation. He was so abusive, one of the most abusive pastors we've ever seen in leadership, that he got removed from one of the largest churches in the country, and the church essentially folded. Nothing good happened out of it, right? Yeah. But he stays quiet for a couple of years. Now he's at a church in Arizona, and he's showing up on my social media feeds. Yeah. He's showing up on your social media feeds, because some of y'all are sharing his stuff with me, because you're like, this dude is awesome. He's a good speaker. He speaks to men, but he's a wolf in sheep's clothing. And if you come across Mark Driscoll's stuff, do not support that guy. He just moves from place to place because the people in Arizona he's preaching to, they're not reading the news. They're not paying attention. They don't know it's the same guy. And he avoids accountability. He says, oh, none of that was true, even though there's tons and tons yeah. of evidence. So you've got some of the most abusive pastors. They just run a circuit and keep going from church to church to church to church. When if we would just simply say, hey, who is this I'm actually listening to? Yeah, It takes more than being a good preacher for me to listen to you or for me to give you insight into my life. So, man, it, it frustrates me. I know I'm being yeah. hard on him, but every time I see him on social media and somebody sharing it, I'm like, dang it. These people have no idea, and they're supporting this abuser all over again. Yeah. Well, what's sad is, I, you know, I'm sure you can make a whole list of people that could be in the same, you know, repeated pattern. Yep. And that's what's frustrating, uh, hurtful, and just not okay about today's church. Yeah. We don't name names much. We name yeah. names for examples, like, like what we did record. with Hillsong. It's public right? record. But the reason why I'm naming names is not just because sometimes we don't name them when they're public record, right? Yeah. We named Hillsong because it was a great example. The reason why I named Mark Driscoll is because he's dangerous. He, it's yeah, a very he's, public he's, record, and he is very dangerous. And there comes okay. a point where if you're too dangerous, I'll name your name all day long. Yeah. So if you're upset that we named Driscoll's name, um, then show me why he should still be in ministry. And if you can't, we don't need to have this conversation. If you can, then let's talk about it, mm -hmm. right? Um, I'm open to the conversation. I'm not going to gaslight you. I'm not going to shut you down. But I've got yeah. people who are like, well, I know we did all those things, but he's a good preacher, right? Yeah. There was a pastor in a, a city near us, I'm not even going to name the city, who was in another one of those top 100 fastest growing churches, fell because of a very public affair a few years ago. Um, his entire staff quit in one day because it was very evident that this was true, mm -hmm. right? Um, the guy has no accountability. His board also quit. So instead of setting up a new board, he is still years later, the pastor of that church. The church still exists even without a lot of good giving because they were able to protect all the assets through bankruptcy, right. still preaching. And I know of people, I know of people who are like, well, I still go to the church. He's I, man, I know he made a lot of mistakes and he's not a great dude, but he preaches really well. Yep. Sometimes, I mean, we have to be honest, sometimes we'd rather be entertained than see godly men and women who are protecting and feeding the sheep. And if, yeah. if, if, if that's you, you can't be surprised when abuse happens and when you're on the other side of it. Yeah, I mean, because you're, it's empty words because you're not living what you're saying. And why is that okay? That's, can that be 100% gaslight material? Absolutely. It's not legitimate. Yeah. And I definitely don't think it's what Jesus wants. And good preaching isn't the only way to feed the sheep. That's not even really what Jesus is talking about. Well, and again, we're not naming names, but if I started naming names, um, man, I could, I, we could destroy some people's careers. I could just talk about people I know who are fantastic preachers with a fantastic gift yeah. that are blatantly walking in sin. 
blatantly walking in sin because everybody's protecting them. I'm not going to do that, yeah. right? Because for the most part, their sin is hurting them and a few people around them. It's not destroying people en masse. It's when abuse happens en masse, and it's affecting day-to-day people who are uh, who are attending the church where I'm really going to push and say something. But, man, there's a whole lot of people who are they're, they're, they're flying under the radar and they're being protected because of their gift. They're a good enough preacher that they're bringing money into the church. They're lining a lot of people's pockets, you know, and they're being protected. I, I, I would just challenge you, when you're looking for a church, look for a shepherd, not an entertainer. Look mm. for someone who cares for the sheep, not just someone who can preach good. And, man, look, I can bring it. I can preach, okay? But I can also tell you, I can preach when I'm in the middle of my worst sinful season. That doesn't change, right? It's got to be about more mm-hmm. than just being a good preacher. So here's a couple of other gaslighting things. I want us to get into these phrases that we uh, we hate, right, that we see all the time. Um, but gaslighters, they don't just avoid accountability. They minimize your feelings. Mm-hmm. We talked about that already a little bit. They undermine your confidence. Mm-hmm. They twist the truth. They refuse accountability. It goes from an avoidance to uh, refusing it, which is what happened with me and uh, the pastor that I was trying to talk with. They shame and isolate victims. They talk about it being your duty to honor them and to honor the church and to honor leadership. That is toxic honor. Honoring someone should never require you to tell a lie. Yes, that's true. Honoring someone should never require you to overlook sin. And when someone asks you to do those things in the name of honor, they've dishonored you and they've dishonored God. So tell your truth and run away from that person. I would also say to add to that, if you're quote unquote honoring somebody to cover up a sin or to lie for them, you're not really honoring them. That's not honoring because when you're honoring somebody, it's also you're, you're building them up. You're, you're behind them. You're part of what they're doing. And, and perpetuating sin and perpetuating lies and and helping them build that is not helping them. It, it may seem like it's helping them, but eventually it's all going to come crashing down. Yeah. I mean, you look at all these documentaries that come out about church lately, not just Hillsong, but all you know, all the different things that have come out. Everything came ca- crashing down so hard because people helped them build up and maintain these lies. People were hiding things yeah. for them. They were protecting them. And when it did crash, it was irredeemable. Yeah. Right. That's the thing. Here's the last two on the list. Um, Gaslighters will often expel you from the group when they can no longer exploit you. Anybody here been expelled from a group? I've been like excommunicated. Yeah. Yours is yours is probably a little worse than ours. I cannot walk into the church that I served at for years. Okay. The church that I baptized my kids in, I cannot walk in and even take communion without either being arrested or or them watching my every move. And the only reason why I wouldn't get arrested is if they thought it was being filmed. Yeah. Like I had, it has been made very clear. I'm not allowed to be there. Right. But they expelled me. Why? Why? Because I called them out. Literally the only thing that changed. Um, and the last thing they'll tell you, this happens a lot in relationships, but it also happens in churches. They'll tell you that if you love them, you'll do what they say. It's the same thing as if you trust me, you won't ask this question. If you love me, you won't ask this question. If you love me, you'll do the thing that I ask you to do, right? Yeah. Okay, well, love says, if you don't want to do that, don't do not do that. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, let's talk about it. Love doesn't say, well, if you really love me, then you would do this thing for me. That's selfish. And uh, man, when, when I read you know, the scripture, if we just go back to scripture, 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love. Selfish is not one of the descriptors, right? 
But one one thing I'll, I'll point out, and I don't normally do this, and I think you can have a good answer for this. That's why yeah. only reason I'm pointing it out. Yeah. Because um, what you said, if you love me, you'll do this. Jesus literally said that to Peter. If you love me, feed my sheep. Yeah. Now I get the different correlation there because usually it's the. Uh, that's why I wanted to bring it up because it's it's mm-hmm. more of if you love me, you will do this thing that you really don't feel comfortable doing. Yeah. Is that well, what you're more saying? Yeah. No. So, it, well, I would say it's a little bit different because it's one, Peter didn't come to Jesus saying, hey, I see this thing. Yeah. And then and Jesus says, well, if you love me, you'll just feed my sheep and not worry about that. No, no, yeah. no. Jesus actually started the conversation. He said, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, boss. Absolutely. I love you. Okay. Feed my sheep. Yeah. And actually, sometimes we get into the we get into trouble because of the language translation. Yeah. Right. We read it as if you love me, feed my sheep. When it's like, hey, do you love me? Yes. Okay, feed my sheep. Yeah. That's what this looks like. That so that's the reason I brought it up. I want to make sure that was clarified because I didn't want people because like you said. So but here's the other thing. Confused. If you're going to get uncomfortable, if I'm asking you to do something to get uncomfortable, it's for the people we love more than ourselves. Right. So in a in a normal relationship, what does this look like? The, you know, the church is the bride of Christ. Jesus was essentially saying, Hey, we love these kids. Yeah. And you're gonna have to get uncomfortable for those kids. There are tons of things that I would not do. I wouldn't dream about doing until I had kids and I'll do stuff for my kids. that makes me uncomfortable all day long. Why? Because I love them. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing something uncomfortable because you said, Hey, if you, if, if my wife says, if you love me, you do this, right? If she says that I'm immediately not doing it. Yeah. Well, it's manipulation, right? Yeah. But absolutely. if it's, if it's, Hey, I think this is the best way to love our kids. Then. Okay. On a Saturday morning, I'll go to a cross-country meet in Nashville in the pre-dawn moments of the day where I only see my kid when he starts and when he finishes. Why would I spend that money and go do that? Because it's the best way to love him, right? So that's really where where Jesus was coming from, but it's a good question. And I think those questions are good. If we're ever scared to ask those questions, and man, Sean, there's times you've asked me questions like that, and I'm like, well, crap, I think I'm wrong. (laughs) Right? Oh yeah, there have been. That's why we go as Christ followers. We go to the scriptures first, not to our pastor. And the problem with a lot of us is we can't we can't combat it when these pastors gaslight us, when these church leaders who are toxic gaslight us because we're so biblically illiterate. Mm-hmm. And then if the response and and look, if you're deconstructing, I get it. I empathize with it. I've deconstructed lots of pieces of my faith. I still very much so believe in Jesus. I've deconstructed the systems like crazy and a lot of things I used to believe about my faith. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. But here, here's what I would ask you to do. Instead of just deconstructing and throwing it all away, we talk about reconstructing and not just deconstructing a lot. I would say this, don't just reconstruct everything that you were taught because you were taught it by a person. Go back and check it by the actual scriptures. Start there. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. If more of us would check the scriptures and double check our pastors, we'd be fine because it opens up great conversations. Yeah. And there's been other times where I've, where you've asked me questions like that. And, it's, and I wouldn't say, well, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but instead I would go, I don't know that's a tension. And yeah. that's going to be, that's going to be a really fun podcast episode yeah. coming up soon where we talk about the tensions of scripture. Yeah. God yeah, we had has that conversation taught, the other day. It was great. God has taught me more in the last decade of my life in the tensions between scriptures. I don't understand. It mm-hmm. seemed like contradictions than he has taught me through the black and white scriptures I understand. So yeah. that's why we get into scripture. I think it was a great, great question. But let's talk about this. What are these gaslighting phrases we hear most often in the church that we hate? And uh, part of the reason why we're doing this, guys, we're doing this to expose them so that when you hear them, you realize this is gaslighting. Because these sound good. Yeah, They sound 
spiritual. They sound religious. There's a modicum of truth in a lot of them. So if we're not really careful, we won't know they're gaslighting. And that's why church leaders get away with this so much, because again, it does sound godly. Yeah. So then we think it's God. We begin questioning ourselves. Um, but let's go ahead and talk about these. This is my least favorite one. I, I've got someone who literally says this to me probably every two weeks right now, but don't let a root of bitterness grow up in your heart. Mm. Got to Got to protect yourself from those roots. Mm. Yeah. So like yeah. I, I, I call out sin in the church and it's, Hey, Hey Jeff, I mean, I know you see this. I know that you were mistreated. I know other people have been mistreated, but don't let a root of bitterness grow up well, in your Well, who heart. grew the root to begin with, first of all? And second of all, don't put, there's the gaslight. You're putting it back onto the person mm-hmm. who already questions things as it is. It's, I've seen I've seen the list and I, and I you know we've all added some to it and I and I, one thought that got me on all of these is that there is a right way to use these. Oh yeah, well mm. Paul said don't yes. let a root of bitterness grow up absolutely uh, among you, but you got to have some context for that and that is never used yeah. when you bring up church discipline because yeah. Paul also taught about church discipline. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. Paul disagreed with Peter. Paul disagreed with Barnabas. Paul had a lot of disagreements where they had these conversations. But they'll say, hey, if you disagree with us or if you've taken up offense, don't get a spirit of offense is used almost interchangeably with don't let a root of bitterness grow up in you. And what it does is it's, okay, well, if I push, if I ask another question, if I try to push any harder to protect people, then now I'm letting a root of bitterness grow up. I'm taking a spirit of offense, which means I'm sinful and I'm hurting the body. So either I hurt the body or I shut up, when in reality, by shutting up, we hurt the body the most. Exactly, and that's what I was getting ready to say is um, by shutting up and not saying anything, the root does grow. It does. Speaking from It's experience. not a root of bitterness. It's a cancerous root it's of a abuse. Cancer, yes, and mm-hmm. I can speak from, from experience. And so it 100% is... Wow, this this that, that's a loaded um, issue there with the you know root of bitterness or root of whatever. But yeah, well, when also, you question things and you mm-hmm. got gaslit into yeah. letting them go, mm-hmm. none of it got better. It all no. grew to the point to where you had to disassociate yourself with that church. Yes, and, and also with that one, let a root of bitterness grow up. I mean that that's a good thing to to say, but also they're trying to tell you, or they may be trying to tell you that you are bitter. Even though you're not like they, they're trying to tell you your feelings mm-hmm. like, hey, you, you, you sound bitter, so you must be bitter. Well, I'm not. I'm just trying to point out these issues. Or I'm trying not to be bitter by bringing it up. Well, frustrated is different than bitter. Absolutely. Right? Right. We see Jesus get frustrated in Scripture, right? But we say don't let that root of bitterness grow up. That is usually said before anyone's actually listened to you deeply. Mm-hmm. They don't even know what you feel. They're trying to tell you, hey, what you think you feel, what you think is righteous indignation, what you think is, hey, there's some stuff going on that doesn't look like Jesus here. Actually, let's relabel that. That's just bitterness, and it's sinful, and it came from the enemy, which not only makes me not want to say anything, it makes me wonder if I can hear the voice of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Was, mm-hmm. was I listening to the devil, and I thought it was God? Because the spiritual leader's telling me I was listening to the wrong person just by saying Am that. I being selfish? Yeah. That is, that is, it, it's super loaded mm-hmm. because it begins again. You can go home and say, not only was I wrong, I shouldn't have said anything, but can I even hear from God anymore? And I'm making it about me instead of God yeah. or what the end result, you know, like what am I supposed to be doing for my church or the people that I'm helping serve? And, mm-hmm. you know, like is, is it, it just causes a lot of discord spiritually. Yeah. 
And then the next time I feel like God's speaking something into my soul, I don't say anything because I say, well, that could just be the enemy. Right. And then I'm so paralyzed. Then, so then your question, then you are thinking, okay, I'm hearing from God, but then am I hearing from God? Then, yeah, because then there's that inner turmoil inside of your yeah. head and your or your heart, and you're like, yeah, it questions all of that. Yes. And there's that's the spiritual part that in question is not it that is where we get into very dangerous territory very dangerous yeah what is causing someone to stumble more than someone at your church who's younger in their faith and you basically say hey don't let a root of bitterness grow up they run that to its end and believe i'm hearing from satan and thought i was hearing from god well then they don't do the things they're supposed to do later on because they don't know the difference, right? And they're just waiting on what their pastor tells them. Well, now you've caused them to stumble. They're not walking out their purpose. They're not being obedient. Yet we do these things that cause people to leave the church, to leave the faith. And instead of even struggling with it, we say things like, well, if you can deconstruct, then you were never a Christian to begin with. Mm. We actually, we, we make the deconstructionist or the person who left look like the villain. They were never with us to begin with. Why is it that every person who leaves the church either got suddenly called away without much information or they were sinful and they were the problem? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How many times do you have you heard a pastor say, I've heard it very rarely, they left and that was my fault? Hard we not. mistreated them. We missed the boat. Never. <laughs> that I can speak of personally. But if it's always the other person's fault, you're the only common denominator. Mm-hmm. Pastors, we've got to realize we're the common denominator causing a lot of people to fall. And Jesus does not care. I'm going to say this. I, I believe this. I could be wrong. Check me in scripture. Okay. I'm not speaking. This is not a word from the Lord. This is my opinion. I don't think Jesus cares about how many people are coming to your church. I don't think he's tracking those baptism numbers. I think what he cares about is how well are you taking care of the sheep? And I think he cares much more deeply about the sheep that left and left the faith because of the way they were mistreated than he does about your attendance numbers on Sunday or how much money's in the plate. I'm just going to leave that right there. Yeah. So thank you for that. I hear you. (laughs) So outside of uh, don't have a spirit of offense, it's also don't hold on to the offense. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that was that was that was wrong. But just let it go. Yeah, yeah cuz we're taught forgiveness. Yeah, you were supposed to learn how to forgive. That's not an apology, by the way. That's not repentance. No. Right? And we are taught forgiveness, but forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Correct. And forgiveness doesn't mean walking away from abuse. Right? Correct. So let's tease that out, right? We get told all the time we need to forgive people, right? Let's mm-hmm. just tease that out. You need to forgive. Okay, do I need to forgive every sin? And if I need to forgive every sin, if that means I don't bring it up again, if that's what's required out of forgiveness, which I don't think it is. I think forgiveness is I let you off the hook. I'm not going to sit here and fret about you all day long. Right. Um, you know, but if, if that's the case, then what happens when we find out that a woman was sexually abused by a leader? Do we just forgive them and move on and not report it? No, of course Vicky, not. That's you're what a teacher. happens a lot. Mm-hmm. You're a teacher. Mm-hmm. You find out that a kid is being sexually abused by a parent or, or someone else. Do you just forgive them because you're a Christian and let it go? Well, of course not. Because first of all, it's against 
it would be against the law against if I didn't law. report it. Because well, we're in Tennessee, in our state, there are no mandatory reporters. My, yes, I have because to, we're all mandatory yeah. reporters. I mean, not that I wouldn't anyway. I mean, I am there to help be that kid's advocate and yeah. let them be a safe, you know, a safe person to, you know, be in their corner. But by law, I have to report it. I can lose my job. Well, not even by law. It's to protect the kid. I can yeah. forgive well, that person. That person can actually, you know, man, maybe they can turn their life into something. But at the end of the day, we protect the kid. We still protect the because kid. Because it's right. That's right. Forgiveness doesn't mean I let it go. What if, man, what if, what if, what if your pastor murders someone and you roll up on them because you got a prayer request and they're burying the body in the backyard, right? Yeah. Do you, do you call 911 or do you go, well, forgiveness? Don't let a root of bitterness grow up. Don't hold on to that offense. Just forgive them, Jeff. It's your pastor. Yeah. No. We have to draw the line somewhere to where we say forgiveness. I can forgive you, but my first responsibility is to protect people, mm-hmm. right? Everybody draws the line somewhere. Some people draw it at moral failures for a pastor. Some people don't draw it until it's sexual or physical abuse, right? I drew it at spiritual abuse. And there's a whole lot of people who think I am the worst thing that's ever happened to the church that I can't be following Jesus because I drew the line at that part of abuse and they don't see it as abusive enough. I should just forgive, right? That's not what forgiveness means. Any kind of abuse needs to be reported and any kind of abuse needs to be taken care of. Now, if the same pastors that I reported had simply said, you know what, we are spiritually and emotionally abusing people. Here's our plan to stop doing that. I would be totally fine with them still being pastors. Yeah. Right. I would, I I would be, we'd be talking about on this podcast right now, how grateful I am for people who can receive correction. Mm -hmm. Right. But we're not, that doesn't mean I'm not forgiving them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I think about them all the time. I really don't. People bring up stuff and I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? Oh, I'm talking about that person. I'm like, I really don't think about them a lot. Right. Um, I, 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 here's one. God's called us to unity. Mm. If you keep pushing on this, if you keep talking about this, if you keep asking questions, you're being divisive. And you know what? Scripture talks about, you know, the the, the Lord hates. He detests the sin of uh, sowing discord among the brethren and, and causing disunity. So if you ask questions, if you don't agree with us, if you push on this, you're causing disunity in the body. Do you think uh, unity means agreement? So if you disagree, you're not in unity. No, unity means wholeness, right? Yeah. So um, let, let's just say this, right? Let, let's, let's do this. Let's say you have a friend and they have cancer, right? They have cancer and the doctor says, hey, you have cancer. And they go, hey, bro, we're not talking about that because I'm at disunity with my body, right? My arms feel healthy. My legs feel healthy. I feel healthy. And if I'm talking about that cancer, that part's just divisive. It's different than all the rest of them. We're not talking about that. We're not dealing with that. Okay, well, you still have cancer. Yeah. Right? It is not... Still have to take care of it. It's not disunity. It's not dissension to say, I'm going to deal with this cancer. No. Unity is saying, myself, my doctor, my family, we're going to do all the treatments. We're going to change our diets. We're going to change how we live because we're all in on getting rid of this cancer. Our body is not disunified against itself because we're trying to get rid of the cancer. It's actually the unity that says this thing in the body is unhealthy and doesn't belong. Why can't we do that in the body of Christ? There's something happening here that doesn't belong. The people doing it belong. 
mm-hmm. but they can't keep doing it and stay here because this thing is cancerous to right. the body. If we let it stay, it's going to kill other cells until it eventually kills this organization, this expression of the church. It's not going to kill the body as a whole, but it's going to kill something. Sometimes unity is us saying we don't even agree on how to deal with this, but we agree it has to be dealt with because it doesn't look like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it would be everybody coming together. Well, it would be, hey, let's listen. Let's talk. Let's right. figure out what we can do. Unity never means silence. Yeah. I'm unified with my wife. We're in unity. We just celebrated 19 years being married together. Um, we don't agree on a lot, right? And that's fine. We don't have bad arguments about it. We have different opinions. We don't always vote for the same person, y'all. My wife will straight up, she'll vote libertarian in a heartbeat, right? <laughs> you know, we we don't have to agree on everything to be in unity. Sean, you and I are great friends. Mm-hmm. We disagree on a oh, ton of crap. Yep. Right? A ton of crap. Um, yeah. I, I'll sit with some of my best friends and my kids will be like, well, y'all just argued for like two hours. I'm like, well, yeah, but it was fun. Yeah. We're not like angry at each and other. We're, we're good. We're good with yeah. it. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing that gets me is um, I mean, you bring up a great point about um, unity doesn't mean you have to be completely 100% equal yoked the same. Um, but there is a, a common ground that brings you together to unify you. So if it's a marriage, a friendship, a church, body, whatever, okay? Yeah. Um, when someone speaks up, that usually is going to be, be to may help make things make it better, like to be better, to grow, to, to learn to stop doing something or whatever. And why is that a problem? Why wouldn't a church want to be better for its people? Well, the same reason why churches and church leaders gaslight their people is the same reason why a spouse will gaslight their spouse when they bring something that they don't want to deal with. It's about control and it's about, I don't want to deal with the ugly thing in the mirror. Mm-hmm. Right? Because marriage is hard. Mm-hmm. You can't stay married without dealing with the hard stuff without dealing with the ugly stuff. And I've just learned, man, if there's something ugly, we're going to deal with it because if I let it grow, it's going to be way harder to deal with. I would, I'll force that argument. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll force that argument in a heartbeat because I'm not going to wait until I'm not going to wait a couple of days to talk about it. That's going to get worse every single time. Right. Yep. I want you to think about this. The same church leaders that will tell us, Hey, we're called the unity. Don't cause division in the church. We'll also quote the scripture as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another. You can't sharpen iron without grating and sparks. It is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So if one man sharpens another, just as iron sharpens iron, as iron sharpens iron, we're going to have disagreements that make us sharper. Yeah. And if iron sharpening iron and us disagreeing is disunity, and it's division, well, then now we have to throw out the entire book of Proverbs because it doesn't line up with our narrative. Yeah. Mm. Right? So here's another one. Come on. Jesus said, they'll know us by our love for one another. If people find out we're having an argument, if people find out you're upset, that's just going to turn people away from Jesus. That's going to turn people away from the church, which we talked about this before. I bring that up in multiple episodes, but that's a fancy way of going, hey, uh, you'll be responsible for people going to hell if you keep pushing this. 
okay, which is is never right. I can't be, you can't be, none of us can be responsible for someone going to heaven or for someone going to hell. That's not that's not a thing, okay? God is sovereign, we are not. Yes, people will know us by our love for one another, but again, love doesn't mean agreement. Yeah. Correct. Dude, Sean, you and I have had some hard conversations. Mm-hmm. Like, we've had some hard conversations. Our wives have had hard conversations with each other, yeah. right? We don't always, like, there's times you have to check me. There's times, times have I have me. to check you, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And it's one of those deals that it doesn't feel good. Right. But the reason why we're having the tough conversation, the reason why I'm challenging you, hey, dude, you got to buck up and do this now. Yep. Right? The reason why I'm challenging you is because I love you. And you care. Yeah. If I didn't love you and I didn't care, I wouldn't say anything to hurt your feelings. I think uh, I'm going to butcher this quote, but Tim Ross says it something like this. The true measure of, or, or like you can't say you truly love someone until you're willing to disagree with them. I don't know the quote, but right? that sounds right. Um, it's, it's way better the way that he says it, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll find it at some point and post it. But yeah, man, we got to be able to disagree with people. Again, they'll know us by our love for one another. Yes, but sometimes that love means, I want you to think about this. The church that I had to call out publicly, right? What would have shown the world more love? Me never saying anything and it coming out five, ten years from now in a documentary that I knew and said nothing? Mm-hmm. Would that show love? Or would everyone knowing we had a disagreement, listening, him making changes to protect people in the future, and then me publicly in a forum like this saying, I'm so proud of my friend and I love you. And I'm so grateful that, that, that you were willing to, to take those steps that you were willing to repent. We're still brothers. Yeah. Which one shows the most love? Well, let me ask you this. Second one, here's, obviously. A, here's a different scenario. Same mm-hmm. type thing. Um, there's been a lot of scandals about, you know, pastoral um, pedophilia, sex abuse of kids, minors. What shows more love hiding that pastor's offense so he can continue pastoring or standing up for the kid that's being abused and stopping it from happening again. Yeah. Cause it's both the same organization. It's just, it, it's the same church organization. What shows more love? Are you going to hide it? Or are you going to help the person that's being hurt? Well, more love is you protect the victim always before the abuser. Well, I would even say that calling out the abuser is also loving. What's well, loving them too. You're trying yeah. to help them. Now they may not accept it, but you're you're trying. You're trying not only to protect the victim, which I agree with you, protect them always. Mm-hmm. That's the most loving thing you could do. But also, it's not loving by hiding it. Because, uh, exactly. You know, you've said it before in quotes that hidden things don't heal. Uh, I read it in an art news article this week. I, th- I sent it to you. It said yeah. re- re- things that aren't repaired repeat. Ooh, that's good. Yeah, mm. as, that's spicy. It that is good, <laughs> and yeah, lot of weight in that. A lot yeah. of truth. Yep. They they do. I have lost some dear, dear friends. We've lost a lot in this process, but you know what? If it keeps someone from getting hurt, if it keeps the pattern from repeating, it was worth it, and I'd do it a hundred times over. Yeah. Right? Here's the next one. Why not just be wronged? They go back to Paul, where Paul's talking about, why are you going to lawsuits, having lawsuits in public with your brother? Why not rather be wronged instead of letting this play out in court? Right? Because you're letting it play out in court in front of you know, unbelievers. So I actually had this said to me, why not rather be wronged by the same church that gave my wife an NDA that said, if you tell people what really happened, we'll sue you. 
<laughs> the same church that threatened us with a lawsuit. I don't think they understood the irony of that yeah, statement. It, it let me know they didn't understand the context of yeah. what they were talking about, right? And I have preached this. I get it. Why not rather be wronged? But you got to remember, that's a question. Jeff, why not rather be wronged? Because if I just let myself be wronged, there are hundreds, if not thousands of people who will be abused this year in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. The so the question behavior. is, yeah, the question is not why, what, why not rather me be wronged? The question is why continue to let hundreds and thousands of people be wronged? I refuse. If it was just me, we'd have no issue, right? I'd move on. I would think what I think about you and I would move on. I don't have to like you, right? Yeah. But it's not just me. So why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be wronged only applies when it's just you and them. Mm -hmm. It's a petty, small thing. If we're talking about anything that's also hurting and affecting other people, it's a pattern. It's not why not rather be wronged. It's why not listen and do something about it. It's why not look like Jesus. It's why not understand repentance. Yeah. Well, I, when I brought up an issue that I had um, in my volunteer role, um, I brought up that I'm not the only one that feels this way, and I'm going to speak up for others that have spoken with me individually. Oh, and I know what they do then. Well, who are those other people, Vicky? Well, tell us about those other people. Name yeah. names. Well, right. That that could all that could occur and maybe occurred. Um, but it's like, but I'm just saying that that it's it's not just me, and I don't like. More importantly, I don't like it that it's happened to other people. Uh, and um, when when you're when you bring that up and you get silence as a response, that kind of sometimes speaks louder yeah. than yeah. any words that that Absolutely. person could have said back to me. Well, so I hate it. It's the uh, well, who are all these other people? Well, I remember again sitting at this table with the elders. Well, you're telling us other people have went through this, but you're not naming names. Well, I'm not naming names because one, it's not my story to tell, but two, these people would be witnesses. You want me to bring witnesses? They'll be witnesses. Um, can you protect them? Can you release them from their NDAs? Can you give them written protection against any sort of retaliation? Because they're scared of the leaders of this church that we're talking about. Well, no, we can't do that. Well, that's why I'm not naming names. Well, if you don't name names, it's not real. No, no, no. It is real. I don't have to tell the abuser the names of the people. So if you want to get a, a, a it's a, God, what do you call it? It's not a, a mediator, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you want to get a mediator like in a divorce? We'll have the mediator. I'll tell them the names. He can listen to all the people, right? But we shut that stuff down a lot. We'll say, well, if you can't name names, if you can't bring three, four, five witnesses, whatever, then we're not going to listen to this. And they know people are scared to death to come forward. So it shuts it down. Yeah. But I brought witnesses. I sent them recorded witness statements put it on YouTube private so only they could watch it, but also so I could see the analytics. And they were bold enough, yay ballsy enough, <laughs> to not even watch the witness statements all the way through and go, we concluded our investigation and no wrongdoing has happened. Yeah. Well, right? and So that's why I wasn't silent. That's why not just rather be wronged because I'm not going to let people continue to be hurt and say nothing. Right, because other people, I may be bold in stepping forward and finally saying something, but they're not. And they're, they may be in a place where mentally or spiritually they're thinking, well, I don't want to lose my part in this whole, you know, my volunteer role, or is it 
you know, my job, whatever level we're talking about here. And you're like, because that could be in jeopardy. If I say something, then that, then I'm in jeopardy of losing what is on my heart to be a part of. And And that's, that's how you know it's dangerous. Yes. You can lose your livelihood. You can lose your job. You can be kicked out of being a volunteer because you disagree. Then there's a problem. That's not unity. That's That's control. That's coercion. That's manipulation. Mm -hmm. Right. So, this is uh, Vicky. I know your least favorite one. Mm. Check your heart. Yeah, check your heart. Check your heart because it puts it all on you, and you're already struggling anyway. Mm. I mean, because we brought it up earlier about um, you know uh, don't let the the root of bitterness grow. Well, um, I think it's kind of connected to checking your heart because mm-hmm. it's the same thing. It's like, well, I'm in the wrong here for thinking this is they are doing wrong. I'm in the wrong because I think they've done something wrong or they're doing this the wrong way. Check your heart implies my heart's not aligned with God, so I'm not a very good Christian. Correct. And so, you know, spiritually, I need to get myself together. You know, uh, I'm, I'm, I am all at fault here. And so it removes all of their accountability and their role in this to begin with yeah. because they put it back on you, the victim. Yeah. So, I, you know, I got told to check my heart many times in this process. You need to check your heart. Don't let the root of bitterness grow up, all those things. Yet I've got some dear neighbors that I absolutely love who haven't talked to me since this happened. They haven't talked to me since this happened. I love them, would do anything for them today, right? They haven't talked to me since this happened because they're they're upset. Is that not more bitterness, though? Is that not more well, like a not reason unity. to check our hearts? It's not unity. Right? Check your heart only happens to the person who's whistleblowing. We're, you're not yes. unified with these people. Right? So if, if, if only the people who are whistleblowing or doing the correction are the ones that need to check their heart, something's super wrong yeah. with that picture, right? Yeah. I, I always want to check my heart. Yeah. Right? But he, here's what I want. When I had these people tell me to check my heart, all I wanted them to do was do the same. Absolutely. I'll, okay, I will check 100%. my heart. 100%. I'm probably a little too hot under the collar about this because it's so close to me, but will you check yours? This yeah. is real. 100%. We need to agree. talk about it, yep. yeah. right? Um, there's so much damage that comes with checking your heart, though, because it basically says you're spiritually defective. Yeah, and it's all your fault. Yeah. How many times did you hear, and, and you don't have to know this specifically, but I, I just want to get a good idea. How many times were you bringing up the same things in here and check your heart before you finally said, it, my heart's not the issue? Too many times in, 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 in many years that I served and I struggled um, with like, I, well, you just, it is what it is. And you're just going to either you're accepting it and you're going to continue to serve and you're going to continue to pray about it because I most certainly did. I was tore up. There were times where I'm in tears praying to God going, I don't understand. And if this, if I'm making this too much about me, if I'm being selfish in this, if this is a pride thing, yeah. please, please make that boldly aware um, so that I know that um, I do need to check my heart and fix that. But if it, if I keep coming up and coming back to the same things reoccurring and I have prayed about it and I do feel, it, it took a while for me to feel comfortable that I was, I wasn't in the, in wrong in my thinking. 
Mm. I wasn't wrong for wanting to question and say something. And I actually really wish I had stepped up and said something way sooner than I did. Mm. But I think it's you're in a almost a an I don't know if it's a level of narcissistic type of it is. A um, um I I'm not looking for the right word, but like a, a whole but you know what I'm saying, like you're in this situation and it's and it, so you start to I don't know, it's like you are being controlled spirit mentally but your spirit too and that's way dangerous and wrong that is not a good this? Place to, be, to be like do you feel the spiral absolutely you're talking about this do you feel the spiral you're in yes right i can feel it yeah it's like right? it's hard to like that's, even get this out and speak all the right words about it that's, that's how. gaslighting yes that's that's what gaslighting does is in the moment you you know what you did was right you know it's gaslighting now that was trying to keep you down Yet those feelings still come up, and all of a sudden, Vicky, you're one of the most confident people that I know. Like you're, 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 it's a graceful confidence. Yet your confidence just eroded. Yep. Right there. Yep. Just going back to that moment, that's what happens. Cycle after cycle after cycle of we begin questioning ourselves. We can't get our thoughts out. We're just not sure. But when you said, I don't know if it's narcissism, gaslighting is almost always done by people with narcissistic personality disorder or some other similar personality disorder where they're high on the narcissistic spectrum. I can say that because I am really high on the narcissistic spectrum. Okay. <laughs> I have to be intentional to not have narcissistic behavior. I would have never thought that about you. Jay. I, <laughs> I grew up in a narcissistic household, like, right? Like I get it. And there's a whole spectrum, right? Yeah. Yes. But that's the deal. Narcissists are the most likely to gaslight but right now, today, in the modern day megachurch, narcissists are drawn to the pulpit because we get the platform. And I'll never forget this. Brad Lominick, he wrote this in a book, uh, H3 Leadership, years ago. But he said the platform, talking about you know the, the stage, the pulpit, the platform is to serve, not to shine. But we got a lot of pastors who want to shine. And any time, if your goal is to shine, to look good, even if it's for the sake of Jesus and the kingdom. If your goal is to look good or to, as a lot of them will whitewash it, I want to make Jesus look good. If that's your goal, then anytime someone says anything, questions you, approaches you with anything that can make you look bad, then you will make it synonymous. Protecting myself at all costs is protecting the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Here's the deal, though. Jesus doesn't need you to look good. He doesn't need your protection. The kingdom doesn't need your protection. People need you to be real. And people need your protection. So what we're trying to do to protect our own image and to protect the kingdom and to protect our church and protect our you know livelihood, we're protecting all those things that Jesus didn't call us to instead of protecting the people he called us to, which is the sheep. Yeah. And I think I knew when I finally was bold enough to step forward and say something, um, I think I I also was hes hesitant to say anything because I knew mm. in the end um, there there was not going to be any movement to change. But I had to call them out on it. I had to, I had to speak my piece to so that I could move forward. And I knew that I had checked my heart. I knew everything was in the right. I called them out on what it was, and I knew what the ending result was going to be. And so I put it off because yeah. I wasn't ready and prepared to let it go. But in, when I finally did, it was like the biggest weight. And then it was like, 
it was like somebody pulled the curtains off of my eyes and my heart, and I knew I'd done the right thing. Yeah. Regardless of what the, regardless of what the end result on what they were going to do or not do, mm-hmm. which well, is unfortunate. Like you want them to to change. Like I I need you to understand. Like I even remember saying, "Couldn't you imagine what this feels like for me?" Can you put yourself in my, my, can you put yourself in my shoes and understand what this feels like for me mm-hmm. and how much I have been in, I, I remember even saying that I have spiritually been through hell. Mm-hmm. Like I have literally, like because of the check your heart part of that, like it was like, and the devil knows your weaknesses and loves for you to be in that torment. Like, and he can use that to his advantage. They kept telling you to check your heart. You didn't have a heart condition. You had an abuse condition. Yes. There's a difference. There is a difference. Yeah. And when you're in the middle of it, it is hard to see. And so I want people to understand, like, if you are feeling this way, mm-hmm. that it is 100% not okay. <laughs> yeah, and if you're hearing these things, again, they sound good in yeah. the moment. Yeah, we're we're not trying to paint out. If if your pastor or church leader is using these again, using these doesn't mean you need to leave the church. Or they're a bad person, but it means you need to have a conversation. Their response to the conversation will tell you what kind of pastor or leader they are, or right? lack of response. Well, and there's yeah. like a, like we said before, there is a proper way to use these specific statements. There are some times where people need to check their heart. There are some times when you need, hey, make sure a root of bitterness doesn't grow up. There are some times. Yeah, why not rather be wrong? There are those moments, but by and large, it's you know what's not crazy? true. Mm-hmm. The best moment for most of those, check your heart, don't let a root of bitterness grow up, all that, is after what you're bringing up has been dealt with. Yeah, Don't let it stay with you. Yeah. It's time to move on, right? Um, then we get, to, we get to this one, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. Well, you know, hurt people hurt people, and uh, we're all sinners, and we're all saved by grace. And yeah, they made a mistake, but hurt people hurt people. Sean, talk to me about that one, man, because that is it, it is true. Yeah. Yet we use it to just gloss over pain. It gets me every time. Every time I hear it, it's almost always said in a way that absolves the person hurting people. Like when you say, "Well, hurt people hurt people," it's kind of like saying, "Well, that's just kind of how it goes," or you know what? It's okay. It's okay that hurt people hurt people because that's just how we are. And it uh, gets me every time because I'm like, yes, it's true that hurt people hurt people. But I said it in, in I think, episode one that if you are a pastor that is hurt and you are hurting people, then being a pastor right now may not be something you do if you're not getting help. You may need to take a step back take from a step leadership back. for a season. And that's okay. That that That's what that, when that's okay. Like, hey, I want, I am hurting people and I need to take a step mm-hmm. back. It's not an excuse to hurt people. And you kind of said it earlier. It kind of goes along with this. And you weren't saying it in a gaslighting way, but you said, uh, I'm not perfect and I will never be perfect. It's the same type of thing. Like, I'm not perfect. So a lot of times people will use that. Well, I'm not perfect. So it's okay that I hurt people. But if I say something on the podcast and you guys get convicted about it and you know we're in the pod host chat and you're like, Jeff, we think you took that too far. We think you broke the pod rules. Um, and I just go, well, I'm not perfect. Um, I'll never be perfect, so I'm sorry, and I'll move on. Yeah. Then then I'm gaslighting you right yeah. there versus I go, hey, 
help me understand why this bothered you. Help me understand what that was. And I was telling someone, uh, you know, talking to a friend who's thinking about being, you know, one of our pod hosts. And they said, well, you know, what happens if there's no accountability and stuff? And I was like, bro, if more than two of you, if two of you or more at any point ever say, Hey, that clip you put on social media, we feel like it crossed the line and you take it down. Right. Or we feel like you need to re- uh, issue an apology on the next uh, episode because you were too crass. I said, if two or more of you ever say that, right, it needs to be two not in the same household. So if it's like spouses, that doesn't count. Yeah. But I said, if two or more of you ever say that, it's immediate. It comes down. Mm-hmm. Also, I said, I've got a pastor in my life who I'm asking to be my pastor, my spiritual director, that if he ever says, take it down, issue the apology, it's done. No questions asked because I trust him that much. My wife is the same way. So I said, not only do I have you guys, but I have a couple of people who there doesn't have to be another one. They just say no. And I submit, right? Because we can't use that as an excuse. Hurt people, hurt people is true. Yeah. But if we use it as an excuse, we'll keep hurting people versus if we say, you know what? I hurt people and I didn't mean to. So how did that happen? Well, obviously it's coming out of pain. I haven't dealt with yet. So what can I do? Well, one, I need to get educated. It's like on gaslighting. What can I do if I'm hurting people and I haven't meant to as a pastor, then it's because I'm hurting. So one, I need to get educated about gaslighting. Two, I need to go to a therapist and spend time working with my therapist of, hey, I keep gaslighting people on accident. I don't mean to do it. I didn't even know what it was, but I'm causing people harm. Let's dig into that, doc. Let's figure out what's going on here. A good therapist is going to help you figure it out. And it's usually a pain you haven't dealt with from your childhood or from early in adulthood, yeah, right? Um, there's nothing wrong with that. But again, hurt people, hurt people should say, if I'm hurting people, then that means there's some sort of hurt I need to deal with in my own life. Well, and I would say that nine times out of 10, if you're saying that about yourself, it's an excuse as to why you're allowed to hurt people. So if you're saying, hurt, you know, I, I did this, but hurt people, hurt people. Or you're saying it about your pastor because you don't want anything to change. Sure, yeah. If you're saying about to, to defend somebody from their actions... Like, it, it shouldn't be a defense. It should be a, maybe a reason. Like, hey, this is the reason it happened. Hurt people hurt people. Yeah. But it's not a defense of the fact that it happened. I think it's incomplete. I think it's true, but I think it's incomplete. Hurt people hurt people, but healed people heal people. Yeah, that's good. And the church is full of hurt, broken people. It's also supposed to be full of those that have experienced healing pastors and leaders that have experienced healing. So I don't expect you to be perfect, but there should be healing going on. Healed people should be healing people that should be rubbing off. So even if you disagree, if I say, Hey, you gaslighted me and you disagree when you know I'm hurt, it should bother you because I'm a hurting sheep who yeah. needs healing. And I think that's where I come back to where my conversation was. Um, when I, you know, was saying, you know, can you imagine how this feels for me? And then I'm, not felt like I'm heard. Um, I've lost track of my my train of thought here, Jeff. Now, can you repeat what you said before I commented about the... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can remember back that far, but we were talking about healing people, healed people. Healing people, right? thank you. That's it. Okay, so you got me back on track. So healing, healing, because like, you know, aren't you concerned that I'm hurt? Like, why are, why are, why are you not concerned that I am hurting a person who serves with you and attends church with you. Who's under your care. Who's under your care. And why are you not concerned that this is hurting? Not only me, but others. 
Well, the the general answer is because I'm more worried about saving face, which means a selfishness, a dangerous selfishness, has crept in. Well, and I think we we um, always have to go back to if we're supposed to be followers of Jesus. Mm. That's, I mean, as Christians, that's literally what Christian means: Christ, little Christ, Christ follower, whatever. Um, Jesus was hurt a lot. And there are probably stories throughout his life that we have never heard. I mean, can you imagine how his brothers and sisters looked at him? Yeah, if um, any of my siblings had tried to, you know, pawn off that they were God, yeah, um, and I needed to believe in them for salvation, it wouldn't have went over well. I, I mean, think, he even talks about how James didn't believe Jesus was who he said he was because he's just my dumb older brother. You know, that's siblings are siblings throughout history. I don't care what you say; they're they're always so. Um, there's stories like that, but there's stories of disciples hurting him. There's a story. I mean, he was literally hurt when he was taken to the cross. I mean, yeah. and what was his saying on the cross? Not like, wow, you guys all, I can't wait until you go to hell. Mm. No, he said, forgive them. It hurt. Mm. Like, and, and just all these kind of situations. And so if we're, if, and I know Jesus is perfect and we're never going to be perfect. You know, I'm never a perfect person. So I'm, but that's on the verge of Christianese. Be careful. <laughs> I'm getting close. Sorry. But I, I mean, Jesus was perfect, but it's, it's what we strive for. And so if, if we use him as an example, as an example, he was hurt, but he didn't hurt people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is possible. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and going back to the forgiveness thing, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do, yet we've never hidden under the rug that we sent him to the cross. Mm-hmm. All of Hebrews is about the fact that we, our sin sent him to the cross, right? Yeah. Because forgiveness doesn't mean that you hide it. So here's the last one, and then we'll start wrapping it up. Um, but I think this is maybe the most important one. Um, so we're going to share this one, um, wrap up this part, and then we're going to give you a few things that you can do to respond to gaslighting. If you know you've been gaslit, we want to help you to respond in a healthy way, in a way that hopefully brings about change, but if not, protects you. Um, but the last phrase I want to talk about Hey, so by all means, we might win some. Let's be willing to let this go so that we can reach people for Jesus. Let's be willing to let this go so that more people will be in heaven. Um, Here's my problem with that. Every time someone says that, and I had a whole lot of people who would say, when I started making things public, they said, Jeff, like we want people in heaven. Let this go. People are watching. You know, um, people are watching. What if they don't go to church this weekend because of all this? And, and and my question was this, what if they do? Yeah. If we're not willing to change anything and I'm only going public because the conversation, they've been unwilling to have this conversation, unwilling to have any sort of repentance. If I don't say anything, then the people who come to your church, who pray a prayer to receive Jesus, if I can't trust that they're not going to be a broken, battered body in the ditch a few months later, then what does it matter? Yeah. What does it matter? Yeah, there's a whole lot of whole lot of uh, uh, plants that are just sprouting out really quick, growing really quick, and then all of a sudden their roots wither, and there's nothing there because you didn't disciple them, you didn't take care of them, but instead you use them as a story. I can't tell you how many people I have seen on the screen in churches used as stories to motivate and inspire people to move to action or to do something, to do a specific thing. And only for those people six months later to completely have disappeared from that church entirely. Yeah, No one's went after them. No one's done anything. No one's going to say anything about it. Instead, 
they just love the story. Yeah, I think that that's probably one of the most dangerous ones on this list, just because of the. Uh, it it kind of goes back to like, well, if you won't let this go, then you're the reason people are going to hell. And and I remember when 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 you posted your stuff and all that came out, and so many people commented like, um, "What if this turns people away from the church?" Um, as a marketing guy, I thought of it this way: if you market and like you have commercials about how great an experience, let's say, let's just say a hotel, just off the top of my head. This this certain hotel chain, hotel chain like this is the greatest experience you'll ever have. You, you it'll be awesome. You know you need to stay here. You get there and it is the worst. It, like the people are rude to you. Um, the rooms are dark, smell dirty. You're never gonna go to that hotel chain again. Not just that one hotel. Mm-hmm. You're probably never gonna go to any of them because you can no longer trust the brand. And 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 so restaurants all the time. You have one bad experience. Candace will have one bad experience in a restaurant we've loved. I'm never going back to that one again. Why don't we just not go back to that location? Right. And and because you assume they're all going to be like that. That's that's the fear. And as much as I don't like to break Christianity down to a brand, but it's kind of the same thing. You you're you're new to it. You've never done it before. You've never been there before. And you get into it. You start loving it. And then all of a sudden, it's just terrible for you. And it breaks you down. What would make you want to go anywhere? Again, how are you going to trust when a church says, hey, we're not like all those other churches that might have hurt you? Well, if that's what you have to say, our claim to fame, the reason why you should come to church, our church is that we're not like all those other churches. Yeah. We've already got a problem. So I I would say it this way. I've had people who have asked me about the podcast, and I'm like, hey, Jeff, it's going to help people heal, but what if it turns people away from the church who aren't believers? Well, one, I hope if you're watching this, because I know we have some unbelievers who watch this, If you're watching this and you're not a Christian, I hope that you see we love Jesus. We love the Bible. We love people. And I hope that you're seeing Jesus and the church in us. Just because we have some issues with the way church has been expressed and with the way some church leaders abuse people doesn't mean we hate the church. I also hope that you would see we love pastors. Yeah, We love pastors who do it right, but there are so many people who would say, Jeff, what if you turn people away from the church or the podcast? And I would say, what if the podcast turns people back to Jesus who were turned away by the church? Or That's the point. What if the podcast helps churches get better so they stop doing that, and those people start going to church for the first time, and they don't have to experience the things that we've all seen and heard and even done ourselves sometimes? That's right. Pastors who are listening— if you want to protect people, if you want to be educated, if you want to get better, we're on your team. I'm not against you. We're not against you at all. We are a thousand percent on your team. The only people's team we're not on are the church leaders who want to keep control more than they want to protect and love people. Yeah. If that's you, one, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. And two, we're coming for you because what you're doing is not okay. It's not right. And we're going to make it hard for people like you to stay in the church. Okay. So again, for 99.9% of the people who are listening to this podcast, we're for you. We love you. And I think this is going to help you grow. Yeah. But for that small percentage, um, we're calling you out for a reason. Because what you're doing needs to change. Absolutely. So let's talk about this as we finish up the podcast today. We're running about you know two hours and 15 minutes or so right now. Um, There's about par for the course. Um, you know, If people have been listening to this and expected it to be a 30-minute podcast, podcast or a 20 minute commute podcast. Uh, you're just going to have to pause that a lot. You can, you can listen to it over the course of a week Break it up. in your commute, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but I want to, I don't, we don't just want to leave you with information about gaslighting or talking about church gaslighting phrases. We want to leave you with, Hey, what do I do when I realize I've been gaslit? 
Because it's one thing to now say, oh, I've heard these phrases before. I didn't know that's what it was. I didn't know I was being manipulated. It's a whole other thing to say, hey, now I know what to do. So um, I want to give you a couple of things to do, um, right? Um, and when I give you these, I'm going to give you three to four of them. They're not always hard and fast, but I think they're things that are going to be really helpful. And you guys tell me if I'm missing anything. Um, but for me, the first thing that I would do when you realize you're being gaslit, do not confront the person immediately. Instead, seek help immediately. Mm -hmm. um, if you are seeing a therapist, go talk to your therapist about it, right? Mm. Um, help someone get help from someone who's outside the situation to help you and to make sure you're protected. Someone who can hear you so that when later you go, I think I just saw that wrong. They go, no, 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 no. You knew exactly what you saw, right? Right. Um, but also someone to help you as you figure out if, if you're not very combative or confrontational, I'm confrontational, so it's easy for me, but for a lot of people, it's not, you need support in your corner. So the first thing is seek help. That could be a therapist, but it could also just be a friend, family member, someone that you trust. If you're seeking help from one or two people, legitimate help, that's not gossip, right? It's gossip. If you keep talking about it to a bunch of people. So the first thing is seek help. Um, the second thing confront the gaslighter directly. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the scariest things you'll ever do. But if you don't confront them, they will keep power over you. And the longer you let them gaslight you, the longer you let them keep power over you, the harder it's going to be to confront them. So the best thing is to confront them. Even if you say, Hey, I don't think you meant it this way, but when you did this, I felt gaslit. Um, it, it, it made me feel bad about myself. It made me feel like my opinion or my feelings were invalidated. It made me feel a little crazy. I'd appreciate it if you don't use phrases like that in the future, yeah. right? That's it. Confront them. Again, if they fly off the handle, if they don't want to receive it, it's a dangerous place. If they receive it, though, and a lot of pastors and church leaders are going to do that. They're going, I, I never meant to do that at all. I don't even know what gaslighting is. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. How? What's a better way I could say that? Right? That, that's a great response. Now, after you confront them directly, though, okay, here's the deal. If they repent, move on and change, let it go. Act like it never happened. Mm -hmm. Okay? If they refuse to listen, they turn it back around on you or start browbeating you or start gaslighting you again, right? Or they say, oh, that would, they, they say all the right things and then keep doing it. If any of those things happen or they just refuse to have the conversation outright, leave that church immediately get out of that relationship until mm -hmm. they're willing to change. Mm -hmm. If they're not willing to change, you got to be willing to move on because if they're not willing to change, you're going to get hurt deeply. Um, and it's going to be in some places that are really hard to reverse. So for me, that's it. It's, it's, Hey, it's three things. I know I'm being gaslit. One, seek help to confront them directly. And then third, depending on how they respond, either I forget it and move on. And that's only if it's responded to well, or I leave and distance myself. I would change Absolutely. one thing. What's that? You said forget it and move on. I think you still need to be aware. That way people can know forgive. I think that's well, where forgiveness is. Well, we said this on another podcast, so that's why I need you to correct me. Because yeah. I said moving on is cheap. We don't yeah. want you to move on. We're trying to move forward. Move forward. Yeah, move, move forward, forward is absolutely. a better way of putting it. Yeah. yeah. So don't forget it. Let it go and move forward. Don't hold on to it. Yeah. Thank you, Sean. You're welcome. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. I'm here for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just broke my own rule there, so... Um, anything else for you guys? Cause y'all both been through this in different ways. Um, and I appreciate you being so courageous and vulnerable. Um, I know the pain that's behind some of those stories. Um, and I could see it in your eyes, you know, Vicky, I could see it in your eyes earlier. Um, but before we leave for the people who are listening, who they've realized in this podcast, 
I'm actually being gaslit or I've been gaslit for a long time or they've almost been triggered all over again. They feel like they feel so small. They've lost control. Um, what would you say to the person who's been gaslit by trusted church leaders? Um, what kind of advice would you give them um, just as we kind of end this podcast? Well, I would just tell them that, you know, um, have strength so that um, you can speak up for yourself because your voice matters. Your voice really does matter. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great place to leave it. Your voice matters. You matter to us. Um, if there's any way that we can help you or, or pray with you, if you're not a part of the community, leave us a DM. We go through as many of them as we can. Um, if you're a part of the community, that's a great place to share your story. We'd love to hear your story, to walk with you. Um, if we miss some gaslighting phrases, we'd love to hear them from you in that community as well. Um, but guys, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you guys for listening. We love you a ton. We're walking with you. You're not alone in this church hurt journey. We're all walking to healing together, and we'll see you guys in the next episode.